Hello and welcome to another episode of Surprise. This show doesn't have a name. It's <laughs> That's a special the name, Robbie. <laughs> Can I introduce the show? I'm so sorry. Everyone's so excited. It's a special edition episode of Story Screen Presents where a bunch of your favorite knuckleheads are getting together and we're going to talk about not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, not six, not seven, not eight, <laughs> not nine, not 10, not 11, not 12. But 13 movies that came out in the year of our Lord, 2017. So we're going to break right into this really quickly. As soon as I introduce you to the people that are going to be talking for the next two plus hours. Maybe. Uh, first, I am joined by the lovely... Bispectacled... Bispectacled? 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 Two, yeah, two yeah. glasses. Bispectacled. Yeah. It's a spectrum, uh, Surfer body. It's a spectrum. Yeah. It's fluid. It's Jack Kalajewski, everybody. Hi. And I am also joined by the lovely bispectacled. Okay, Bernadette Gorman. There she <laughs> this is. This is not going to be interesting. We're all <laughs> bispectacled. And then the other bispectacled uh, man in the room in the corner over there. Robbie Anderson. Yes, here he is. And I am Mike Burge. I do not wear glasses, but sometimes I do when I want to feel smart and cool or not be annoyed by blue light from my phone. Hmm. 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 Maybe we could plug. Glasses. That brand of eyeglasses. Yeah, Warby Parker, what's <laughs> up? It works really good. Yeah. Like, I don't get headaches anymore. I started taking antacid pills, too, so I don't get heartburn as much, too. I've been wow. on it for like four days now. It's absolutely great. Let me tell you a little bit about... Okay, so we're going to break right in. Robbie, you're going first. Mm. Uh, pretty much what we're going to do is we all picked uh, three movies that we all wanted to talk about, made sure there were no repetitions. Um, you know, we'll uh, we'll, we'll plug uh, storyscreenbeacon.com later where you can see our full top 10 or top 17 lists of the year. Uh, but right now we're going to break into it. So, Robbie, what's the first movie that you wanted to talk about? Uh, I want to talk about Get Out, written and directed by Jordan Peele. Uh, Get Out was kind of like the first, I think, unless you count John Wick 2. But Get oh, Out was like... John Wick 2 came up we can't, we can't, we can't. It's Shit. too late. John Wick Chapter 2. Thank you. Mm. Um, Get Out was kind of like the first big splash in, in film of 2017. The movie came out not out of nowhere. We knew it was happening. We've seen the trailers, but... The quality of the movie, I don't think anyone was quite expecting. It's Jordan Peele's first like debut into doing a feature film. And the film's incredible. Uh, it deals with racism in a satirical, but also in like a horror setting. Um, and it's acted well. The story beats are fantastic. It's directed perfectly. It's really an amazing movie and was a really great way to start the year. Um, it's crazy when you think about that came out in what was it February? February. That was actually fifty years ago. <laughs> wow! It feels it feels like a long time. A lifetime has passed by. Yeah. since then. Mm-hmm. several. I think it's a good bit. And John Wick was even before that. I think John Wick was before. Oh, <laughs> uh, I think John Wick was right. Around, John Wick was February as well. I think it came out on Valentine's Day. That's right. So I think it was right after. I think. Oh, right after. If I remember correctly, Get Out was like the first week of February. John Wick Chapter Two was the. Second week of February, mm-hmm. I believe, because I think you guys went and saw John Wick Chapter Two as soon as it came out, but it took you guys about two weeks to catch up to get out to go get it, and that's why those episodes are flopped. Oh, well, there mm-hmm. you go. That makes sense. Get Out is amazing. Absolutely, very good. yeah. Anything else you want to say about it? Uh, yep, yeah, that's it. No, I mean <laughs> it's re- it's. It, I was so surprised when I saw it, and um, in my top list, I kind I think we we both kind of had the same sentiment when. The movie really lends itself to being rewatched mm-hmm. and watching it through because when you're watching the film the first time, it's so delightfully fun to be like, what is happening? 
Like, what's going on? Why is everyone acting weird? What is the situation that we're in? And then when you find out and rewatch the movie, um, it's you can really pick up on some of the, sol- the the subtleties and what you know Jordan Peele's really kind of seeding all along this big climax that happens later in the film. And it's mm-hmm. very. I think the film was also very unexpected in terms like by the time you get to the end of the movie i was like this is not what i thought this no, was gonna be i thought the movie was gonna be i mean it was you know advertised as like kind of like this horror like that trailer is very horrific and kind of like whoa what is that about that's yeah. crazy but then it's directed and written by jordan peele of key and peele fame mm-hmm. so everybody's like oh well it's going to be a comedy obviously and in some ways it is uh, but you, it, the, uh, you thought Golden Globes the Golden Globes it is, yeah, yeah. The Martian <laughs> or a musical. It's hard to see. Yeah, exactly it's a musical. Yeah, it's not a comedy. It's a musical. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, They're all uh, talk singing the whole time, the entire time. <laughs> and it's uh, they it, the movie. Was, I was surprised the same way. It was not as yeah. funny as I. It's very funny in certain mm-hmm. parts, especially with the uh, some side character action in there. I don't want to yeah. spoil anything, uh, but it there's a. Uh, it wasn't as funny as I thought it would be. It was way more uh, serious and down to earth and kind of sincere in the message that it was talking about. And I definitely didn't expect it to be that um, thematic of what it was talking about. I didn't expect it to really follow through on all of those things in all of these different ways by using these like uh, past horror cliches and kind of twisting them and turning them to go towards this um, racial commentary in America that Jordan Peele was talking about. So that, I agree with you, surprised me by the end. He's a master of, like, bending genres, you know? it's Mm -hmm. The movie is a horror movie, but it's also deeply, like, a satire Mm -hmm. on, like, American culture and American racism. And um, it's it's really fantastic, and it... uh, You know, he's getting getting a lot of nods at the Oscars, which is great. He has at least three nominations, right? I think I think he also got a screenplay, didn't he? Director. I think it's, yes, he yeah, did. best original yeah. screenplay and best picture. And mm-hmm. Daniel, uh, Daniel Kaluuya, Kaluuya. got. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think what's what's great about Get Out is how it works so well as a cohesive whole. It it at its core is a horror movie, and it's a really great horror movie because it's so good at building tension, mm-hmm. and it builds tension in a in a the sort of way that's not oh there's a spooky guy behind that door or like don't go into that basement yada yada. It builds tension in that. It has a very likable main character in Chris, who played by Dan, Daniel Kaluuya, who is in a situation that is very much the kind of situation that would make any person in that kind of context uncomfortable. And the way that he conveys that, that Jordan Peele conveys that kind of tension to the viewer, I think is, it will, would work for anybody. Like anybody in the audience regardless of, I think, their own personal biases or their own personal history or their viewpoints, you know, could go in there and say, like, ooh, this is an uncomfortable situation. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. This this makes me feel uncomfortable. And, that like, being able to communicate that kind of empathy through a horror movie, which I think is what makes the horror genre so interesting, is by communicating sources of anxiety or tension uh, or fear to people through film and kind of communicating that empathy to people. Totally. And I think Get Out does such a good job of being a good horror movie, so making the viewer feel that tension and then putting it in the context of like, this is what it's like to feel racism, feel the actual practicalities of day-to-day racism. Mm -hmm. Yeah, practical is like the perfect word. They make it like, oh, he's like, Kaluuya is such a good proxy. He plays such a good like... 
I'm not black. Right. And and I can feel the uncomfortableness and right. the insecurities that are just put in there. Right. And so I can't imagine, if I love this movie this much, I can't imagine how much black audiences went crazy for it. When I saw it in theaters twice, both times, the theater was packed and it was predominantly a larger black audience. Right. And people were losing their minds because there really hasn't been a movie like this on this scale, in this genre, saying these things and doing these things so expertly. It's, right. It simulates othering so well yeah. to the point where, like, you know, no matter it, what it walk communicates of life... It, it communicates it. And, like, no matter what walk of life you're from, you you feel that anxiety. You feel... Yeah, you feel what Chris feels when he's in a room surrounded by people who have all eyes on him. You know, it's well, the same... Oh, sorry, Bert. That's okay. One last thing. I'll, uh, the, it's the same kind of phenomenon you get when you have a movie about, you know, some underdog or wimpy person or something like yeah. that who's getting bullied, and everybody in the theater... Even the bullies in the theater are like, oh, come on, kid, you could do it. Like, it's that feeling. So even yeah. someone from that place of racism who could practice racism or feel certain kind of racism, I think it's an important movie to actually give someone that kind of context and perspective and say, like, oh, this is how I may, whether it's intentionally or not, be making someone else feel mm-hmm. in this context. Well, yeah, it's... Uh... Not only doing its job as a horror or as a comedy or any of those genres of film, to have that opening pastoral shot of like being a vehicle passing by all of these beautiful trees. But then the first instance that you have with a character is you're seeing the photos that Chris takes because he's a photographer. Mm -hmm. And so it's such a clever film to immediately put you in front of the work that he has done and the things that he has seen. And then kind of makes you sit back and think like, oh, yeah, I appreciate photos, but I don't necessarily know exactly what that photographer was thinking when he took that snapshot. And then it tells you like, yeah, you don't understand, but please appreciate and listen to what we're telling you through this. Mm -hmm. And just the use of that mechanic in the film at the very beginning mm-hmm. to tell you like this is through chris's lens yeah and then that it's makes set to childish gambino's red bone too yeah. which is like a great song from 2016 and it's just yeah. like right. oh i am getting put into this culture yeah. and this like it's very well represented like that's what you're getting yeah I'm... he's also a black right. white photographer mm-hmm. like to make that very clear when you right. in that opening scene he's shaving and he's shaving you know like white the white so shaving off. cream off his face. Like, that's that's some of the stuff you really start to see when you watch it again. And oh, yeah. I've mentioned this a few times. If you get the DVD for the movie, you fucking listen to the director's commentary. I need to do that. It's, it's really good. It's so that. good. Hilarious. And is, just, it's just, just, is it just Peel? It's just Peel being like, yeah, and like, you know, this scene came from this, listen to the blah. And he's just, he's just talking the whole time. And he's being, being funny, but he's just like so down to earth and just like chilling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really but like it, it does it it i recommend watching the movie watching it again listening to the director's commentary and then watching it one <laughs> final time mm-hmm. so is it four times i don't know whatever you need yeah watch this movie four watch times, totally. four yeah. times. Absolutely. i think i already have probably seen it four times i definitely yeah have. i think all that you know it it also just works as a whole in that it is very funny at times yeah. You know, it's not just a great horror movie. It also has a g- great humor in there. Mm-hmm. The, all the supporting cast is excellent, yes. along with Kaluuya. Um, it just all works together so tightly. Yeah. It's a very tightly paced movie. Everything that's there is there for a reason. Everything that's there, like, works with everything else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Agreed. 
Great movie. Yeah. Uh, started well, off 2017 with a bang. It really yeah, did, yeah. It coming sure. out that early and the fact that it's still held up, not just in like the minds of people like us that love movies or actual like like people that get paid to do movie journalism and criticism, but also like the Academy and everything. There's still that movie came out before last year's Oscars, essentially. Yeah. And they're they're still giving it like when tons of stuff. You think about it, it sat at 100 percent on Rotten Tomatoes for a long time mm-hmm. yeah. for that mm-hmm. one guy who didn't even like Toy Story three. Gave it a <laughs> <movie>. <laughs> well, speaking so, yeah. of uh, sitting at Rotten Tomatoes, really good. Uh, Bernadette's got our next movie. Yes. We're going uh, to talk about uh, Lady Bird. Absolutely, uh, Lady Bird. I thought was great. Uh, it didn't necessarily take a whole lot of risks, but I think that might be its one detractor from being a little bit more long lasting. But I know when I have children, eventually, I'll be watching Lady Bird with my child because it paints such a beautiful portrait of the relationship, not only between a growing teen and her friends, but a teen and her parents, but more specifically, a mother and daughter. Set in Sacramento, California in 2002, kind of autobiographical about Greta Gerwig's life growing up and the way she grew up with her mother and... It's so funny to me that it's also set in a Catholic setting, because I was raised Catholic. I was raised by a single mother, but their relationship played so similarly to my relationship with my mother. So there's a lot of truth in that film as well. After I saw that movie, like, the first thing I did was, like, tell my mom, like, you gotta see Lady Bird with my sister. Like, you just have to go do that. <laughs> a, I love you. B, B <laughs> it's so good do. to see you again. Yeah. Can you get to the fucking theater and see this movie? <laughs> Can you just shut up for a little bit Can and watch stop a stop talking and film? go see the movie? It's like, alright, you walked in the house and you're yelling at me. Girl! <laughs> right. Yeah, I absolutely love Lady Bird as well. There was that's It's a, a year filled with so many good alternative versions of coming of age stories other than the ones that we're used to you know like we had we had a uh, gay coming of age story and we had a, f- a female teenager coming of age story and uh, fish coming of age story a fish coming of age story <laughs> yeah, yeah there's like there's a lot of uh really i mean we even have like one with a guy who's got like claws on his hands who's like ancient and he's actually coming of age finally after years of not maturing we'll get to that later there, i've never heard of this man who yeah, is this mysterious this? man james, james howlett is his name oh the taxi driver yeah uh, yeah i love lady bird it was an absolute delight to just sit there with that movie for its entire runtime uh the cast in lady bird this is also a year with tons of amazing casts with these movies that had big casts and lady bird is one that really stands out Everybody, uh, Tracy Letts is the dad, mm-hmm. is amazing. The mom is amazing. All of the boyfriends and the friends are amazing. And it's uh, got like the teen dream team in there. Yeah, it really does. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Cersei Ronan, Timothy Chalamet, mm-hmm. and what's his name? Uh, Lucas Hedges. Lucas mm-hmm. Hedges. That's From it. Manchester yes. by the Sea. I was about to ask, yes. is that, that kid, right? Mm-hmm. He's great. And then Beanie Feldstein, I want to say, which is uh, Jonah Hill's little Jonah sister. Hill's little sister. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Also doing a great job. Those three. Though specifically, yeah, hard going places. Mm-hmm. Well, and now hopefully too from Lady Bird, Greta Gerwig can start getting some money to like really throw. I mean, Lady Bird, I don't think was made for that much. No, you know, Greta no. Gerwig is like mumblecore fame. Is <laughs> uh, she's right. been like a bunch of stuff, um, like with Duplass Brothers and and people of that ilk and stuff. Right. So for her to be able to kind of come out with this movie that's uh, very much like kind of a mumblecore movie, but it's also kind of aimed more at a wider audience mm-hmm. and follows kind of typical like kind of rules. Like I, I referred to it as like, it's like Garden State, 
only 15 years later and you it's, know the genders are reversed it's post mumblecore yeah yes. <laughs> which is which is what uh you know uh, even Zach Braff has said that about uh, Garden State that it was post Mumblecore when like Garden State came out pretty much at like the height uh, like, it, like Mumblecore was kind of just starting to go away and I was like nah dude like you're right there that's that's what that movie no, is no you don't get to be Fugazi yet you're minor threat still sorry yep. <laughs> good that's there you go and maybe that's why Lady Bird uh, maybe rings a little bit cleaner than those Mumblecore movies too is because it's a woman in charge running the film so mm. it might be a little bit more crisp as opposed to a Perhaps. meandering story. Like, this story doesn't really meander. There's a lot of poignant moments, yeah. and it definitely is a snapshot film where you're seeing little snapshots. But I think it's more coherent than I think some of those mumblecore films are, which I love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I but. saw Lady Bird and Florida Project back-to-back, and they're both Ooh. kind of like <laughs> those like uh, beautiful kind of a, uh, a day in the life or like a slice of life of this like place and these people there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Lady Bird, I mean, the... The thing that really shines for me from Later Bird is is the dialogue, and uh, you know, like a lot, all the movies we're about to mention has has great talking bits, but this movie in particular, it's it's so funny, but it's just like every conversation has meaning, impact, and emotion, and like it, every line of dialogue that comes from all the characters is so important, and it's beautiful, and it just kind of like washes over you. And you're watching this movie. I remember I was watching this movie. I'm like. Oh yeah, this movie's really funny, and like I was laughing the whole time. But you get and you're just like, oh my, it's just so funny. It's very funny. It's hilarious. And the mom, the mom daughter relationship is better. On like fire. I feel like I know what it's like to be a daughter and have a mother now. They make it so relatable. <laughs> Them in that thrift store where they're just like they know each other's buttons to push and they're just ta 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 poking each other and just they've just become like they're they're the most professional people to personally attack one another and then as soon as they find like a really good dress for a good price like, ah yeah that's that, beautiful don't you love it <laughs> it's fantastic like it's it, it's very sensual in the way where it, like you can feel what the characters are feeling and you can feel what Greta Gerwig as a director as a writer is trying to present to you you can feel right. it without even really having to try all that hard and I think at the end of the film, I'm not going to spoil anything, but you walk away, and I feel like a lot of coming-of-age stories focus so much on the coming-of-age part of it that they kind of forget about the parents or the coming-of-age before the coming-of-age. Mm-hmm. And this movie did such a good job of making you remember that your parents have lives, too. Yes. And yeah. children have a Definitely. hard time connecting with their parents in that way. They're like, oh, you've been existing ever since I was born, but you didn't have a life before me. But no, they also had a coming of age. Yeah. And so for you to have that realization when you walk away from the film, mm-hmm. I think is really important. And I and, thought it was really well done. And also done. It, it points out, maybe, not, maybe this is something that I kind of read into a little bit more because it's something that I saw, but... It also points out that you can be a child, a teenager, and you can be coming of age and you can have problems with your parents. But at the same time, your parents are constantly trying to figure shit out too, regardless of how old they are. You you can be 65 years old. You're still trying to figure shit out. Nobody ever right. has their has their shit together completely. You're constantly changing. If you're a good person, you're constantly like, you know, an eternal student of life and you're etern- you're you're forever learning and changing and trying to figure things out and sometimes you fail and sometimes you succeed and failure is the best teacher mm-hmm. <laughs> in a way 2017 taught us that in a lot of ways. but yeah absolutely it's an absolutely beautiful movie yeah just really pretty and yeah yeah it's very honest and open 
which I think... I'm glad, you know, when when people were telling me about the movie, I almost thought it was going to kind of, like, bash the, like, religious elements of it. Like, kind of, like, bash yeah. the church. And, and it's very, like, you know, it, it's cynical on it, for sure, but it's very honest, and it, it definitely, like, I think speaks to... I'm not a religious person, um, but I think it definitely shined it in a more, kind of, like, in a light that I thought was, like, nice and soft, and it made sense that, like... This is why people do this, and this is why people fall out of it, and this is why people come back to it. And I'm like, that's very nice. It's a very nice way to represent, I think, that thing on film, you know? Yeah, I think a lot of time religious people in films are kind of the butt of the joke. Yeah. Or, yeah, are kind of not real people, but Mm -hmm. this really did a good job humanizing all of the characters. No matter what. Like, wherever they're from or however they feel. Mm Mm-hmm. I agree. Great. Uh, We will move on over to Jack. Hello. What movie you want to talk about? Uh, I guess my first one up is going to be War for the Planet of the Apes. Uh, War for the Planet of the Apes is the third in the reboot Planet of the Apes trilogy. That is, in my opinion, way better than it had any right to be, Pre- I think. Prequel-ish kind of things. Um, sure, but it is Re- very much a reboot. Re- it's a reboot. Reboot. I mean, come on. Yeah. It's a, reboot. It's, That's this is more accurate. This is <laughs> a modern Planet of the Apes. Yes film franchise mm-hmm. um reimagining reboot there are cool. definitely like a lot of homages in there to the original i'm definitely not as deep into the lore of the original series <clears throat> as i know some people <clears throat> maybe love me yeah, so see i've but, seen the originals but i haven't seen these oh, reboot really? yet you are borrowing some more <laughs> shit from me yeah. after this they're the first one's Pretty good. The two that follow it are on fire. Yeah, yeah. Matt Reeves so coming good. back as he was in Dawn, and he came back and wrote this one as well. Yeah, so I, I think the, the Rise of the Planet of the Apes, the first one with James Franco, is a really cool story. It does a lot well with um, the puppetry and Andy Serkis's role as Caesar as the main ape in the story. Mm-hmm. Um, it really becomes his journey over the course of the three movies, and... The first two had a lot of humans characters involved as well. It was apes and humans. Even in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, there's um, what's that actor's name? Um, with the curly hair. Gary Oldman. Uh, not cur- <laughs> Gary Oldman. In the second the one. Main protagonist in the second one. Jason Clark. That's it. Yeah, he's still kind of like sharing the lead role with Andy Serkis as Caesar. Um, War is firmly the apes are the protagonists of this film. Uh, they are the center stage. Every human in this movie is villainized, more or less. Yeah. Um, and in that way, I think it's being the third movie in this trilogy and, and allowing it to be the latest one to come out, really, the technology in this movie is fucking astounding. Because I don't think you could have a movie where your protagonists are entirely CG if the graphical work wasn't as strong as it That's is. It's crazy. And it's, you forget... It's unbelievable. You forget the that close-ups it's... on apes' faces and the way that apes are emoting, yeah. and so much of this movie is sign language. Like it is a blockbuster movie that is probably, let's say, seventy-five percent not spoken ever. Yeah. It's all sign language, and because of that, it is so much more able to take its time, and it's a quiet. And pretty and and a bit slower, but still like has that blockbuster pacing in there, but is driven by the technology that allows them to get away with just showing these animated characters emote. Um, that's not to say that the the human characters in there aren't amazing. I mean, Woody Harrelson is a fantastic 
That was another one that I didn't think was going to work going in. I was like, ooh, Woody Harrelson. Like, he's a great actor. I know that he's a great actor, but he's Woody Harrelson, and you've already got apes riding horses with guns. Like, how far do we want to push this? But he owns it. But he... He's great. They made him watch Apocalypse Now 10 or 15 times, and he really (laughs) nailed it. um, He's... Woody... Like, round of applause for Woody Harrelson this year. He has a lot of very great supporting roles uh, that I think are... Maybe underappreciated. I I think I think that he knew going into that a lot of those roles were thankless as yeah. well. I mean, yeah. three billboards, seven three billboards, we'll there, which we'll get to later, yeah. is another movie that's filled with a great cast, and Woody Harrelson is just one of them. And yeah, this he movie gets overshadowed. Yeah, in this movie, he's the villain, yet he is very much overshadowed by, like Jack said, the 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 technical aspect of everything and how everything goes, and it's a culmination of a story that he wasn't in. His character wasn't in the past right. two. And so I think that he did take a lot of these like thankless roles this year that he just knocked out of the park. Right. Yeah. He just chooses good work. Yeah, he's he very good at choosing him. what Absolutely. he wants to do. Even his character in like Seven Psychopaths is like fan. He's, the, he's like he's the best great. part of Seven yeah. Psychopaths in my opinion. Besides Sam Rockwell, because I think Sam. What about Christopher Walken, my dude. Hang on, we'll get there. Sorry. We'll talk about him more <laughs> in a bit. But going back to Planet of the Apes, um, I, I think for the same reason that. Um, Get Out really affected me this year. It sounds like for the same reason that Lady Bird um, might have affected you, Bernadette. Um, the, the the thing I think that is really impressive about this movie is the way that they are able to communicate that idea of othering mm-hmm. again through entirely non-human characters yeah. that are given... It's abstracted in a way, right? But it's still the same kind of idea. Abs- no, you're absolutely these are, 100% these on are, point here. These yeah. are characters that are being treated... As less than human, and they're more human than for all intents and purposes. Live, they have families, they have concerns, they have loved ones, they have all these things that it's very easy to look at an ape and say, "Well, that's not a human," obviously because it's an ape. But what the movie is showing you is that no, these have every right to be treated like human beings, as human beings do, and some in many cases more of a right. Um, And I think that idea, I mean. We all talked, I think in our intros about our list, we all said 2017 is like a bad year for humans in general. <laughs> so like all these movies that do a really good job of communicating empathy, I think are super important mm-hmm. for this it, past year. It's that thing we've mentioned on past episodes where artists always seem like they are about three years ahead of the curve. Curb? Curb? Yeah. Is it curb? Uh, no, it's curb. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate I appreciate you uh, correcting me it's on that. It's a fun so inside joke. These yeah. are all these movies that they put into development in 2016, 2015, depending right. on how big or small they are. And now they're coming out. I just did I did a count real quick while you were uh, talking about war. And six of our movies on here deal in some w- major way with the idea of othering right. mm-hmm. someone. And it's like this was a big year for that where artists really saw that this was a thing that was on the horizon that people needed to discuss and people needed to evaluate and consider. Right. And I, I think, you know, even today, it's it like even more, more than ever, I think as time's going on, it's becoming more and more of an important conversation. I mean, they're still having like to make this topical, the, the immigration um, discussions that are going on in our government right now. It's really easy for people in the U.S. to say like, oh, immigrants coming from somewhere else are not my problem. I don't know them, whether it's they're, they have different color skin or what have you, a different culture. It's very easy to just other someone and not think about them as human beings. But what Apes does is say it abstracts it to the level like these are not actually human beings. They're literally not human beings, but 
you should still feel some matter of empathy. And I think that's yeah. a good, like... Be compassionate. Is, yeah, it's yeah. showing compassion. And I think that's a great lesson to sneak into a blockbuster that everyone's going to go see and appreciate and maybe take away that message like, ooh, maybe I should be more compassionate for at least start with other humans. I mean, just, worry just about be it. compassionate and understanding. <laughs> like, you'll be smarter, you'll be cooler, and you'll have more friends. Yeah. yeah. Don't even have to think about the fact that you're going to make other people's, millions of other people's lives better just by you being cool. Right. You'll also be cool, so people will want to be friends with you. Is that yeah. how that works? Being yeah. Cool? Being yeah. cool? <laughs> I just, I've never been cool, so I don't really have that many friends. Well, I mean, I'd yeah. rather, I'm just thinking about it on like a, you know, a specific value where it's just like, oh, if somebody was obviously a racist, I'm not going to be friends with them, so they lost one. Yeah. yeah. And if somebody, like, com- somebody can be a complete dickhead and just not be racist at all, I'll still be friends with them. That's how I've gotten by. I mean, just <laughs> yeah. generally treat other human beings with respect. Right. And dignity. No matter what. Treat yeah, people the way you, you would like know. to be treated. That's yeah. a good goal. I'd say that if I was to assign a, 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 a metallic hue <laughs> to that rule, I'd say probably be golden. Wow, that's great. Yeah. That's um, a great hue for like that. A, like a first place rule? Yeah. Yeah. So I think from like a core, that's the thing that really like blew me away with this movie. But also, you know, it looks fucking amazing. It's a fun, like exciting story. It's thrilling. Absolutely. Um, it has a good amount of humor in there as well. Like I think they have the bad ape character in there as the kind of... You know, I've seen like the Jar Jar comparisons to him, and oh. I, that's really not fair at all. Be gone, <laughs> be gone. Don't don't need that. Uh, but yeah, I like that movie a lot. It's a good movie. Um, okay, and uh, so my, my I'm next. Me. You're next. I'm next. Me. Yeah. Hey, wait, wait, wait. It's me. Hey, Mike. What movie do you want to talk about first? It me, Mike Burge, and I want to talk about I like Logan. That movie too. <laughs> I want to talk. Ra- Can Robbie, I? Robbie, you have something to say? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what movie did you want to? See? See? Uh, a Phantom know? Thread. I'm pretty excited to go see that. I want to see that too. Yeah. What movie do you want to talk about now? I want to talk about... There we go. Logan. Ah. Whew. Great movie. We got there. I think it made a lot of our lists. It did. Burn yes. it. Was it on your list as well? It was not on my list, but wow. I did enjoy it. Okay, yeah. I let you borrow my copy too. I did like Solid it. Solid 11. I'm not sure about 11, but probably the top 15. <laughs> it was okay. a, like, there was a lot of, we, I don't even think we said that in the opening, that this was a year where like, it was rough. a lot of really rough. great movies came out. I, I had trouble doing a 17 and I had an extra 7. I had I a lot of solid this. 11s. There is so many soul 11s. searching that mm-hmm. I had to do when I did my yeah. But uh, Logan was another one, came out in March. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Academy Award nominated film, Ooh, Logan. Logan. Right. Got we nominated for adapted screenplay, which is a little bit of a cheat, but I'll take them. I'll take them where I can get them. Yeah. Uh, we were talking about. I think by adapted screenplay, they're not necessarily saying that it's based on Old Man Logan. It's adapted. It's that it's based on <laughs> it's. <laughs> for film. What's adapted for film? The story of Old Man Logan. No, no, that's what I'm saying. That story is not Old Man Logan. This that movie. This movie has nothing to do with Old Man Logan except it's a road trip and it's got a character named Logan in it who's old. Well, they adapted the rest. Right, but there's nothing else in there. Okay. Like I'm saying, they're saying it's an adapted screenplay the same way that you would say like a bio epic, a biopic would be an adapted screenplay because even though you're telling what happened to this person, it's based on things that already happened, and in this case, it's based on a pre-existing character. Okay. So because Wolverine yeah. is the main character and it's based on comic books, they're like, we adapted this character into the right. story. Right. It's, it's not right. original. I was more right. making the point that I was like, this wasn't really, we thought we were getting an old man Logan movie, but then like, mm. there's no Hawkeye. There's no, they, they had so many rules that they couldn't do. And it really just became a completely different story. X-23 is not in uh, old man Logan. 
I think in Old Man Logan, it's Spider-Man's daughter. She, yes. it's the daughter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's the, it's the, it's the daughter of Spider-Man is who they're going to get. Yeah. Right. Um, I think that's the thing that makes Logan the strongest. If you have to ask me, that it's not relying on all those. Oh, people. absolutely. I'm not. I'm not saying that I knock it for that. Yeah. I'm just saying that for adapted screenplay. At first, I was like, I mean, it's not really Old Man Logan though. And then I was like, oh, it's like a pre-existing character kind of thing. But Logan itself, as a movie is phenomenal. The performances, again, this entire cast, from the bad guys to the good guys to everybody that they interact with is absolutely amazing. Another story of othering in a time where people are being hunted down by uh, pseudo-technological ice agents, essentially, that all have, like... Robo-arms. Robo-arms and yeah. robo-things. X-Men is one of the oldest, like, franchises that is specifically about othering. Totally. Right. Yeah. I- you you first, Brian. Okay, I was just going to say. They both took a sharp <laughs> inhale at first, like, <laughs> time to talk. Well, I was going to say, uh, just on the quick topic of othering, not only was it othering mutants, but, I mean, granted, the Stephen Merchant character, the albino, was a mutant, but at first yeah. you don't really know his mutant tendencies, he's just an albino. And that's another form of othering, too. So mm-hmm. there are so many different layers in yeah. this film. And also the kids are all immigrants. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes, the, sure. all, the, all of, pretty much all the kids are people of color or uh, orphans that were like from seeking, Mexico and stuff like that. Seeking refuge, yeah, yeah away seeking from refuge their in Canada yeah. to get across the border to get out <laughs> of the United States in March of 2017. Yeah. Ding dong, yeah. here it is. I wonder if there was a wall. Quite a there. few people feeling that way. <laughs> mm. I'm sorry, Robbie. What were you gonna say? I don't earlier? fucking remember. Okay. Uh, <laughs> oh. Help me out before it kills me. What's the name? What's the actual name of? Uh, James Howlett is Logan's name. No, no, no. Okay. no. <laughs> you told me that one before. Uh, Stephen Merchant's character I, in this oh, movie. It's a very interesting name. Um, oh, um, it's like uh, it starts with an A, right? Well, it's uh, going over my head right now. I remember Damn. it though. Yeah, it's going over my head. Oh no! Um, oh, excuse me. I did it, Robbie. Fear the. <laughs> beware the life. Your life. X Robbie. Uh, yeah. Was that a character made for this film? No, it's no, no. very loosely he was based. In, He's in Apocalypse. He was yeah. in X Men Apocalypse. Gotcha. But a different actor was playing yeah, different. Actor. Oh, yeah. that's kind of a bummer. Shoot, Stephen Merchant's yeah. great. I'm gonna look up. Well, that you guys totally, were talking. Like, yeah. brick walled this whole conversation. So, what do you? What else do you like about Logan besides uh, the, the cast? I mean, I would. I mean, like X twenty three, Lara. She's yeah. she's fantastic. That actress is just out of control. Good, and and she's put in like a. Like a literal box, or not a literal box, it's a car, but it's like a box. <laughs> it's not a literal box, it's a box on wheels. No, 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 metaphorical. And it's, uh, she's in this car with Patrick Stewart and fucking Hugh Jackman. Hugh fucking Jackman. Yeah. And she's holding it up, like she's getting it did. And mm-hmm. I think that that is a huge testament to like the casting choices that they found, not only in Lara, but also in like the bad guy who mm-hmm. kind of looks like Garrett Hedlund, but he's not Garrett Hedlund. <laughs> and uh, the other bad guy Dan who, Stevens. who kind of looks Dan like, oh, I <laughs> he kind of looks like Dan, Dan Stevens. Stevens. He probably would have made my top 10 if it looked like Dan Stevens. That is true. It's like, yeah, I really liked Logan Dan Stevens. The Freddy Krueger looking guy, but he's not Freddy Krueger. We went through a long process on our actual Logan podcast when we were talking about the villain with the, with the arm and we were like, who is it? Is it that guy? No, he's not that guy. Is it that guy? We did, yeah. No, it's not that guy. Yeah. He's just some other guy. I'll plug it right here too. I highly recommend going back and checking out our Hot Takes episode on Logan because that is one of the best episodes we ever did we're in my just, opinion. We still we, getting our, our feet wet. It was really good We were though. so stoked on that. We were all so pumped for that movie and I remember, I remember by the end of that movie, 
I had tears in my eyes, and I looked down oh, the aisle, and my, and my boys were with me, crying. All crying. All yeah. the same. Everybody in that audience, it. and we had a great audience that night. We saw it opening night, yeah, and it yeah. was packed, and everybody yeah. was respectful, and they were just like, here it is, the end of X-Men, and it's uh, it's a phenomenal movie. It looks amazing. The score, if you have a chance, hop on Spotify, listen to the original score. I didn't notice it watching it the first time, but on repeated viewings, the score following in line with its very like Western noir uh, genre bending sense that it has the score is very noir based mm-hmm. very jazzy mm-hmm. very uh, very eclectic in its choices of instruments that it uses and when it drops the needles um, and it also has like this kind of uh, franticness to it that uh, goes very well with like this kind of road trip idea of like yeah. this isn't really high stakes but at, at the end of the day it ends up being like the biggest stakes of all that we could create for this character that we've spent almost two decades with. I think that's the thing that really resonates for me with Logan is, I mean, the first X-Men movie that came out really did a lot for comic book movies at the time. I think yes. This is what, like 2001, 2000? 2000, yeah. 2000. Yeah. yeah. So that's going on 20 years ago mm-hmm. that movie came out. And I think for us was um, a big movie that was like, yo, comic book movies are, are real. Now. They're yeah. happening. Yeah. And it's gone a long way since then. But... It's interesting when you think of the X-Men franchise because there's so much... The X-Men franchise is really weird. Yes. Because it's been going for a very long time now. And you have the same characters with Hugh Jackman and Patrick Stewart, namely, being kind of used and then moved away from, but then reused again. Like, Fox is not quite as precious, I think, with their canon as mm-hmm. Marvel has been. They're not consistent, They're like really. They're, They're just kind of like, what are you really doing but, now? They have been consistent in using these characters throughout. And what Logan does that I think it makes it so much stronger of a movie is it says, all right, we've got nearly 20 years of X-Men film canon that we're going to cut all of the like, like details out of, the story out of, everything that actually happened. Doesn't we're not predicating our new story off of the plot right. points that happened, so you can go into. They Logan. never directly say that it didn't happen. Exactly. They're just like it's not necessary to even comment on it. Necessary. Doesn't matter. Yeah. But what they do take is all of the emotional baggage that yes. you, as a viewer, have built for after watching this series for nearly twenty years. The relationship that that Logan and Professor X have with each other. And the kind of and that's a lot of time to spend with characters like that. Yes, and characters, two characters that have gone through a lot together, mm-hmm. and to cut away all of the like kind of baggage, the like the actual plot baggage, and like just leave the emotional impact that those two yeah, characters that's have. That's a good point. I think makes that movie so strong. Yeah, I think that's what makes that movie so good as just a film rather than just a comic book movie. Totally, right. and unique as well. One hundred percent. Think about how many movies come out as a franchise movie that have that kind of emotional prerequisite going in Mm -hmm. and deliver on it. It's like a gift that they were given before they started making the film. They were like, wow, we can just build off of this. And they used it perfectly. They used it perfectly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's so many superhero movies that feel like they're a commercial for the next one. Mm-hmm. You know, and this movie is, I mean, yeah, I, I shared the exact same sentiment. It was that. more of a celebration of what came before. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it's, you said it perfectly. It's it's low stakes in the way that, you know, most superhero movies that come out now, it's almost always the fate of the planet or the universe or yeah. what have you. It's always like this big, like, 
you know, they're fighting for the fate of the universe. And in this story, it is Logan and Professor X and it's, and Laura, yeah, and it, they are just fighting to survive. Yeah, it's it's not the fate of the world. It's the fate of Wolverine's spirit. Of people. Yeah, mm-hmm. of, and of, of Logan in particular, of his morals. And he yeah. is, he's lost the way and he's gone back to like his, you know, like wandering the Canadian forest days and he's not helping out anymore because like that's one of the one of the biggest parts about it it's not a spoiler because it really happens within the first five minutes of the movie it is revealed to us that the x-men lost right there are no more x-men there are no like almost all the mutants are gone they got rallied up and and they lost they're they're the they didn't win all of these things that we saw that they were trying to push towards a better future where mutants and mankind could be one and they could love each other and be compassionate, understanding, and work together towards a brighter future. Future that did not happen. They lost, and and they are they are broken. Mm-hmm. And lo- at the at beginning of this movie, all of our characters are broken, and it takes the the journey that they go on in this movie to heal them. Mm-hmm. You know, someone who has a healing factor, and he is very self destructive. Right, mm-hmm. and seeing- kind of like <laughs> Deadpool from last year. He's immortal. Yeah. He's immortal and he can heal, but he's self-destructive. Right. And seeing characters like, like Wolverine, who is who is immortal, who cannot be hurt, and seeing him so vulnerable, and then seeing Professor X, who's such a powerful mind, who's such a like a graceful, yeah. intelligent person, broken down to that point where Logan has to come in and give him his medicine. What and a great idea! It's God. just again taking all that emotional <laughs> stake that you have in these characters, and then like twisting the knife on you is yeah. just mm-hmm. we wouldn't there's no other world where we can get a movie like this except like right now yeah. you know like yeah and i don't think we'll ever get i don't know if we'll ever get another superhero movie like logan because you everything's be right. so predicated on connective tissue mm-hmm. you yeah. know and I'm i mean I, like I, I, took I'm, a risk. I'm excited for matt reeves's batman if that does come if to fruition does come, because yeah. matt reeves we've seen that he, the guy can do good blockbuster with like heavy themes and talk about stuff and yeah. Batman already has that preconditioned experience with audiences where we go in a lot like the X-Men Yeah, we can go in and we can already have these things we know what happened to his parents we know what happened to this we know what happened to that right and maybe they can give us something that really dissects what the man underneath the cowl is and they can do something with Bruce Wayne that they've really only lightly done before yeah. And in, in Logan, it's so expertly crafted in the way that the kind of the backstory that led these characters here is vague enough that yeah. you as the viewer are kind of filling in all the ideas that you have about old man Logan even and all the rest of the, the other movies in the franchise that like you're kind of filling those spaces with your own personal expectations going movie in. treats and, you like an intelligent viewer. Right. And, but yeah. but yes. it, not only that, it, it leaves it open enough that you have, if anything, more more of an investment in what's going on because it lets you fill those empty spaces with, with what you preconceive as totally. important to that franchise. What I think... It's oh. just, go ahead. I, I was just going to say it's oh. really fucking good. It's really, <laughs> it's really fucking good. <laughs> that is yeah. true. What I think also this movie uses to its credit, and I haven't disliked other X-Men films in the past, but typically an X-Men film or any superhero film kind of revolves around a big city or a place that you know and it almost seems otherworldly, kind of like the joke New York City. Right, yeah. Like Metropolis this, or, right. or yeah. Gotham. And this goes back to the streets. It goes back to dingy motels. It goes down to broken down gas stations the with desert, billboards that road. are crumbling. Yeah. It goes back to the road. Mm-hmm. It's so easy to identify with these characters because they're in America that makes sense to us. Mm-hmm. 
not yeah. overloaded with all these other crazy things going on. I mean, the best scene in the movie amazing. is with a family in a house. Right. Yeah. That's the Goes best. That's the like roots. the best part of the movie, you know? Right. And, and giving, right. they're having dinner. Giving those right. characters something yeah. that, that you've seen these characters do so much over the course of these movies. Yeah. You've never seen them sat, sit down and have like a normal family exactly. dinner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's got, uh, wrapping this up, uh, uh, Patrick Stewart, Professor X, has a line at that table where he says, um, this isn't giving anything away. It's more of a matter of fact thing that I think is a really good motto for, I took it as for watching movies because that's one of the most important things to me. And he says, this is what life looks like. You should take a moment to feel it. And I feel that a lot when I watch a lot of movies that are in this vein where it's like this is nailing down what this with these emotions that these characters are going through. This is what it is. And if you take a moment to really go like, I know it's a superhero movie, but at the same time, if you allow the movie to get in, it will it will affect you in a very honest and empathetic way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one last thing on Logan before we move on to Bernadette's next one. I don't know if I said this to any of you guys before on previous podcasts, but I just want to make sure I get this out there because I want to break everyone. Oh, no. Logan came out in 2017, 17 years after the first X-Men came out in 2000. Okay. Return of the Jedi came out 17 years before X-Men in 1983. So when X-Men came out, Return of the Jedi was just as old as X-Men is now in comparison to Logan. So you're saying we're all old. We're all getting old. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> right. Oh, no. no. I feel it. Yeah. My bones. All right. My so now, bones. now that I've depressed everybody, <laughs> let's, uh, we're going to talk. Bernadette's next movie is a real upper. Uh, it's a, it's a crazy one. I don't think, uh, I'm interested to hear these boys cause I didn't get a chance to listen to their hot take uh, on this film. <laughs> so I saw mother, huh. Darren Aronofsky's. No, it's mother. 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 <laughs> mother. Uh, I saw it fairly recently, and I knew a lot of people weren't into it. I didn't do any reading. I didn't do anything. I went in very fresh and innocent into this film. (laughs) And I had a feeling like I kind of could see where it was going, and then it didn't go there, which I appreciated. And I'm a religious person, and I still feel like unless it just offended you, to like the worst degree that you couldn't enjoy it. I don't see how you couldn't enjoy this movie because the colors are beautiful. The costuming, the wardrobe is amazing. The sets and the shots that it takes and the camera work in this film and the sound and the music. The sound. Everything about this movie and even the acting. I love. Oh, you just like grossed me out when you said the sound. Yeah, well, <laughs> sound is rightfully so. It penetrates deep, and they, they re- I think, they meant- I think they crank up the sound effects to 11 throughout the rest of the movie <laughs> for that one moment. And I do like, think that there are lots of weird things moment. going mm-hmm. on, for sure, Yeah, that don't necessarily jibe. I think they broke some rules, but for what they were giving me, I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. And I, I enjoy the conversation at Sparks, too, which I totally, think Totally, yeah, important. that's one yes. of, it was, it was the first big one, I think. Oh, no, it was after It Comes at Night, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Which yeah. uh, the idea of divisive movies that came out it's, in 2017, because we got a good five solid of them. Unpacking right. pretension. There's so like many that. examples in 2017 of movies that were poisoned by public opinion. And I think yes. it's so easy as a viewer to hear public opinion mm-hmm. and have 
that kind of mindset going into a movie and being ready to not like it to join the public conversation of this movie's not good or yeah. this movie this movie has all these problems because you are looking to join that conversation mm-hmm. and kind of join in in that course of what, voices. Jack, that's crazy. No one would ever do that. I, what a, what I an insane thing to even... <laughs> you just came up with that. No one in the history of the world has ever done that. I don't blame anyone for doing that because it's, it's easy and it's, and it's easy to do that without thinking about it. But there's such like that phenomenon of... of reaction poisoning your mind to something. And I think Mother is an interesting case because Mother is a film that is a fuck you to It's the made viewers. to do that. Mm-hmm. And it's made yeah. to be a fuck you. It doesn't to like you. No. Um, it hates that you're there it watching. Yeah, it's like, it hates it that it exists. <laughs> yes. Yes. It, it is yes. punishing you. Yeah. And and that's, that's, I think, one of the things that makes it so interesting. But with some of the other movies that there have been a lot of backlash to and a lot of like divisive opinions on, it is... You see the phenomenon where people come out of a movie with, I would say, a stretch to get to the things that have, the like problems that exist in a movie just because the rest of the public opinion did not like that movie. Yeah. Right. And Mother, it was probably, I think It Comes at Night was one of them, but... I think Mother, Mother was definitely was a bigger a one because of the stars. One. It was released more. Yes. It was like this big the thing. The anger was louder. Definitely. Yes. The looking to hate was louder and bigger. And well, Mother, think... Mother was very interesting from our perspective because the three of us went to see that movie opening night. Mm-hmm. We yeah. had no fucking <laughs> clue I didn't know. what we were getting I didn't know. Yeah, I mean, we even mentioned it on the podcast. We were like... I don't know if people who who's this for like it's that, that movie. This movie was made for people like us who like really dig movies and want to be challenged by a movie and be able to dissect it and talk about it. That's not why most people go to the movies in the summer, right? Right. To go see yeah. the new Jennifer Lawrence joint like right. this. Uh, we were like, this movie is going to piss people off. But and we didn't like, think it was going to be this insane. It's, where it's, We thought our circle, like you said, the, the people who love film and are critical on film and maybe do a podcast would like the movie. But a lot of those people did not like the movie yeah. either. Right. I mean, and before we like just continue going off the rails on like the divisiveness, of which I think is very important because that's the conversation around it that is very interesting. The movie itself, as Bernadette was saying, is like it's beautiful every yes. single so thing amazing. in this screen and on and coming through those speakers when she puts is that hummus phenomenal. on the wall it is the hummus <laughs> that delicious looking hummus oh my god why is it maybe wants some tortilla chips right there and that's <laughs> me yeah aronofsky just did he was so cheeky while making this film too because he basically i mean it's written into the manual like okay well if you didn't like it uh i think i'm already making a comment on you with the film you just watched mm-hmm. right. yeah. which, which is why is i so think his reaction well when people were trying to figure out what it was about That's him reacting to it he, he shouldn't have, have. Shut but i also up, Darren. but i also Shut think up. that he was being quite cheeky with that too and he's just like yeah what you want me to tell you what it's it's about mother earth go fuck it. go yeah, have get fun the fuck with, go here. have fun with that think about that av yeah. club and then walked away <laughs> and then he's just like that's not what it's about it's not about any, it's about everything and nothing. Yeah, because he's a crazy person. Well, it's he is it's insane. a movie that is made to be interpreted. When yes. we did our hot take, the three of us sat down. One of us was broken, and that was me. And Robbie, you I during was, that movie, I said this on the podcast. Yeah, during that movie, I heard you say, "I fucking hate this movie." Four or five times <laughs> under your breath, you were breathing. Robbie does this thing, and I've sat next <laughs> to Robbie in movie theaters a lot. Almost 40 times. Probably. You can hear him through just through your breathing, like the way that you're feeling about him. <laughs> and you were just like, 
furious. <laughs> like, like you were hyperventilating. I, I was. There was many points in the movie where I'm like, I'm having a fucking panic attack. You were, like, you definitely were coming close. To yeah, that, and like the movie, it, you guys had to ask me to be like, well, Robbie, did, did you like it? And I still don't know, but I do think it's important to to discuss it and dissect it. And I think it's one of the most important movies of 2017. It might be the important movie of 2017 for critical analysis and talking about film. And it hurts you. The movie is pain. Um, and the movie I, is pain. And do I think, listen, do, do I recommend it? I still don't fucking know. I absolutely I recommend know. it. Go for it. It's, it's Absolutely. It's, it's, a, it's a roller coaster that is designed to make you throw up. Yeah. And yeah. you're either the kind of person that gets on that roller coaster and throws yeah, up. You either goes, like roller coasters and then, you don't. And then I goes, it. Let's do that again. Or you say, that was the worst experience of my life. I'm never doing that again. I think I said on the podcast that I was going to go see it right away. I am a coward and a liar. I didn't because I'm terrified of this movie. I've seen it three I times. I cannot now. wait to see this you're movie. I cannot wait to see this movie again. Yeah. I want to go grab it and just and have it on my shelf and just like have it judge me silently for the rest of my life I, yeah. I, staring I at me kind of a funny anecdote about this movie specifically because we always go see movies the Thursday night they come out yeah I generally like to go see movies with my coworkers as well mm-hmm. but just by the very nature of the way that we do our hot takes on our podcast I've usually seen most movies before I saw I see them with my coworkers so we that earlier that week, I think it was like Wednesday or Tuesday, we had scheduled everybody you know at work is gonna go to the movies on that following Tuesday after it came out to go see this movie. So I had seen it Thursday already, and I knew what everybody when I scheduled it at first, I had no idea what we were all getting into. I knew it was a horror movie with <laughs> Jennifer Lawrence and Javier Bardem from the guy that did Black Swan. That's we about had, where I was we at. I had no idea who we were so, getting. So, yeah, so let's, innocent. Let's go. I was like, come on, coworkers, come with me. And I was the one who set this up, so it's my fault. Come with me to go we'll go have fun at the movies. And I saw the movie on Thursday and I had to be like I can't tell them anything. <laughs> I need to keep quiet. Otherwise they're gonna be like what the fuck did you make us go watch? And lo and behold, Tuesday came around and half of them were like, what the fuck did you go make us watch? It what is, is your fault. Wrong with you? You've seen this again? You've seen this already and you chose to see it again? And you were like, but I yeah, like it. Like yeah. <laughs> no, what I really love about this film is that, and I wrote about this in my list on the website, storyscreenbeacon.com. Mm. Uh that I think that his progression of filmmaking is so solid. And I think he's a person, a creator who is obsessed with telling stories of creation and perfection. And if I were to hazard a guess, uh, these two films are made almost like companion pieces. You have The Wrestler mm-hmm. set in a very, almost too gritty of yeah. a real world scenario. And then he warps it a little bit getting into Black Swan. Black Swan is also about that performance aspect uh, interpretation, it's more creation, about the pristine versus the gritty, and get but that gets like Swan. a little weird. It starts yeah. getting There's a little some weird. Surrealism to Black Swan. And then this one's like everything you know is real is gone out yeah. the window. Right? Do you think hummus is real? <laughs> it's it's made <laughs> for again. walls. <laughs> it's for the walls now. That's, that's oh, part of it too. Because it starts off in a very kind of grounded scenario and progressively, except for that first shot. So from yes. the first shot, which I almost kind of wish wasn't there, but I understand why it's it was there. Kind of like, yes. I think it's good I, I in like it. a ro- like a roller coaster. It's like that first shot is like you're getting the on a roller hill. coaster. You know what a roller coaster is, and it's right. like ah, and then the rest of the movie is that track 
you're like, going oh gosh. up and oh you're gosh. going <laughs> up and you're going up and then you reach that third act and it's like goodbye here we go and then there's the first shot is you standing online hearing the other people screaming (laughs) oh perfect there you go analogies (laughs) but yeah i just love this film so much bernard i'm curious from your perspective this being a movie that is so deeply tied to religion and the story of the old testament and the new testament Mm -hmm. how did that you're the one religious person at the table so how how Describe your relation to, to that to aspect the film. of the film. Yeah. Okay. For the religious allegory, when it first starts up, you you start to understand what's going on with these two characters. Was it quick for you to it understand, was quick. get that allegory? Okay. Mm-hmm. Especially when the the man and the woman come, and then they yes. have the warring siblings, the warring brothers they come. They even show a, a shot of took his ribs. ribs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I we didn't get. I don't. I mean, I didn't get that at didn't, first, and then at, and like thinking about it, it was like, oh, that's it's really, so uh, quick. The shot talk of about him it. covering yeah. up his ribs. Mm-hmm. It's really really quick. But go on. And I think a lot of people even miss uh, like the picture of him in the bag, like what that represents mm-hmm. to Ooh, essentially like Tell an Adam. Yeah, I don't actually get that of just like having a reference of the man who created you mm-hmm. because they always have that reference with them. Okay, and so they carry a- it with them wherever Adam they go. Adam and Eve had a reference. Of what got did he show well, himself? Well, I mean, like, they've met him in oh, the Garden okay. of Eden. Oh, right, right. Okay, I got. I see what you're saying. Right, right, right. I was like, they had a picture. No, the Bible invented pictures. <laughs> he just takes out like a like a pick a camera. It's like God, God made a, God made a mountain that looked exactly Instagram. like me. Like yeah. that's yes. me. Uh-huh. A Polaroid. Bye. Yes, it's that's very hipster uh-huh. of Adam and Eve. So chic. Uh, so going into that, I already re- was seeing the cogs being turned. Of what it was going to be. And then once it started ramping up even further, like, especially with uh, Mother at the beginning saying, I want to make this a paradise. Right. It's like, all right, pick it up on that. And it's going and going and going. And some of my favorite places that I've ever visited uh, are religious places because I think they're so beautiful. And I think the mosaic tiling of certain mosques and... I've been to the Basilica in D.C., and that's a beautiful place. And they have multiple different shrines throughout the church. And so once the house started in, turning into that shrine, oh, my gosh, that just blew my mind. Because mm-hmm. at that point, I didn't quite know exactly where it was going until she right. gave birth to the child. And I was like, "This, is, uh, we'll see where this goes. Well, I mean, so much <laughs> of it, too, is about humanity poisoning that paradise. Right. Yeah. And, and any creation. That, that destroying that paradise. Right. And then them creating something and humanity taking it away and immediately destroying it. Right. Yeah. And the interpretation of how much does a creator need before he can feel validated? Right. Yes. And how much do the audience need before they feel validated? And that constant tug of war between the two. And yeah, I was digging it pretty much the whole time. Mm -hmm. It's a good movie to dig. Yeah, it is. If you love it, it's easy to love. Mm -hmm. And if you hate it, it, they make it real easy to hate it. Absolutely. I've seen a a lot of discussion or some criticism from like the like like Christian aspect of it of some Christian perspectives saying like, oh, this is like blasphemous to see this these kind of Bible stories portrayed in this way, and it is sort of like a raw way of portraying some of those stories. Like those stories are, if anything, meant for interpretation, and this is like a very like. Oh, it's fucked up when you put it like that. 
Like, it's really fucked mm-hmm. up when you put it like that. So, well, yeah. I mean, the Bible is there, you know, in, in one way of looking at the Bible is there to instill uh, control and to teach right. people lessons like but before, like, like don't you should act like this. Otherwise, this happens to you. It's right. the idea of paradise or hell. And then everything branches off from that. You do good, you get paradise. You do bad, you get hell. Right. And everything else in that is just a way of controlling the populace and thinking like it's not all just about this. What you do affects everything else. And the, Darren Aronofsky is very much making a comment on that where he goes, look at these lessons that we're teaching people and we haven't learned anything. Because right. as, as the film progresses on and these allegories become more and more – these metaphors, sorry, become more and more uh, – um, topical to how we as a people act today you're like man we haven't learned any we're learning Nothing. all of the wrong lessons yeah. from these religious teachings right. and or we could be learning good lessons yeah, but right. we are also awful people yeah. yes like, we are inherently good things we doesn't are inherently make us bad. good well yes. if anything when the movie goes off the rails so much of it is look at what people will do to each other in the name of their creator right yes. yeah i might not be the most uh reputable person to ask because while i am religious i I definitely don't tie myself down to a lot of yeah i mean like i'm like super religious (laughs) and i was like bernadette's the most i mean i'm really religious i just don't have a religion like i am like the most not religion person ever that it's a religion i mean you probably go to movies more often than some people go to church church i got a fight with an atheist too and i told him like why do you tell people you're an atheist you don't care right like what are you doing? Yeah. What are you doing? I don't know. Uh, but we're going to move on to, uh, and uh, we got one more before we take a little break. And uh, while we're on the topic of uh, divisive films mm. of the year 2017, uh, Robert, what would you like to talk about next, Robert? Can can my can my boys and gals give me like a dun 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 dun? Can I get a low dun dun? That was a great job. I want to talk about Star Wars The Last Jedi, directed by Ryan Johnson. Kabow! Yes. Fun side note, we did our best of 2016 last year as our first episode, and at the end when we said what we were most excited about in 2017, we all unanimously agreed... Beauty and the Beast and Ryan Johnson's Star Wars, which had not gotten a title by that point. No, not yet. Very funny. Star Wars, The Last Jedi. It's the number one movie on my list. Um, I'm a huge, huge Star Wars boy. I love me a good Star Wars. I <laughs> loved this movie. It's a Star Wars that gave you... They gave me everything I wanted, which was the unexpected. I didn't see any of what the movie was giving me coming. I didn't expect all the twists and turns that were happening... I loved what they did. I love what Ryan Johnson did. They gave me a Star Wars that I think was for someone my age who grew up with Star Wars, where they're like, we're going to turn the ship in a direction that maybe you've never seen before. And it, I think it all works. All the usual Star Wars-isms of zip-zaps, lightsabers, spaceships, all that stuff super works, as always. But at its core, it's a very different Star Wars. And I open the floor to you, my friends. How do we feel? How do you guys all feel about Star, the Star Wars? Star Wars fucking sucks. <laughs> Fuck you! The Last Jedi is stupid. It ruined everything. I wanted to know. You said... Not I'm sorry, I'm freaking Skywalker. out. I'm freaking out. <laughs> not you, my Star if Wars. You, not my Luke Skywalker. If you set up... <laughs> he would up, never do if that. If you set up in a movie... I'm sorry, I'm gonna... If you set up in a movie, in The Force Awakens, they set up who is Rey's parents, who is Snoke. And in this movie... 
they completely toss all of that out the window, <laughs> just like Luke Skywalker just tosses when he first gets a light, just toss. He just throws oh, it. Oh, wait. And Robin, oh, that's the entire Robin, point of the yeah, movie, Robin, isn't it? Oh, so shit. Cute. I have my hyperspace drive um, mechanics manual here, mm-hmm. and uh, they could never track through hyperspace. Uh, it's physically impossible. Also, turning around and doing that uh, light speed jump through another. It's impossible. Well, guys, uh, why, why is there gravity in space when it's a fantasy filled with magic and not a sci fi movie? Can you answer me that? Can, can you tell me about can that? Can you tell me why that is? So we're all we're all kind of getting that is. This is also probably the most divisive Star Wars movie ever. The same way that uh, we we kind of touched on it comes at night and with Mother, which is a movie that deserves controversy. This is not one of them. <laughs> no, no, no. This is not one of them. The Last Jedi is a lot like the 2016 election, where you realized which one of your friends were was a dick. Yeah, who do you have you to delete like, off? Oh, Facebook? I never, I never thought that you were a dick like that, but you are. It turns aren't out you're, you're, you're a piece of shit. Very much people uh, signaling and outing themselves very quickly. Oh yeah. <laughs> so me. we had Get Out, and then we had Star Wars. Yep. <laughs> Those two films. No, everybody likes Get Out, though. I don't know if I've especially ever talked the, to especially the racists. Like mm-hmm. The thing about that the thing about Star Wars is it's such a rabid fan base and so many people hold Star Wars so precious that yeah. some people are not willing to allow their idea of Star Wars to be changed or warped or manipulated in any way. And what Ryan Johnson really did with The Last Jedi, which personally I feel was incredible because yes. I thought it was refreshing and I thought it was bold and I thought it was the best thing to happen to Star Wars in a long time. I think possibly ever. I think possibly ever, Take risks with the franchise and turn the lens back around on the franchise and really look at what the franchise as a whole is saying and say, is that really... Like, just be critical of what the franchise in general is saying. And I think that rub people rub people who hold these things like a religion. Mm -hmm. There is literally a religion of Jedi in the world. I think it's like Norway's third third number one religion is Jedi or something like that. Oh, really? I'm, I'm, I'm I gotta wrong go. about the country. I gotta, I gotta <laughs> get out of here. It doesn't have to be Norway, <laughs> do but it. yeah, yeah, that's really it's, funny that there, there is a country one. whose primary, I think it's um, a, like a Northern European country whose primary religion is Jedi. It's the second one, Sith or Satanism or something. <laughs> <laughs> atheist. Maybe. Atheist. Yeah, probably. Atheist. Uh, yeah, yeah. That actually, that's Leave probably the, the right. Whatever, 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 uh, whatever Watto's uh, species is, they uh, worship that species. Car that's salesman. The one. Car salesman, that's what it is. But the that's point is... Species. <laughs> car salesman Yeah. yeah. People take it so personally and have such a strong idea and preconceived notion of what Star Wars is and always has been and what it should be that when you get a Star Wars that's a little bit different, people react strongly. I mean, this movie, it panders not at all to an audience that wants it. There's no pandering. There's no no pandering. And that's the thing. This Star Wars movie is a film. It's, It's a movie that, like... Has like critical thinking, has beautiful moments of reflection, much like Jack said. And I think people expected like a blockbuster Star Wars movie that was easy to watch and kind of washes over you. But we don't live in that age anymore. Even fucking Guardians of the Galaxy has some really deep subtext. Like, you know, that's just the way it is. And I think people, since Force Awakens, people have spent two years toiling over all the all the mystery box shit that J.J. Abrams get. I like I like Force Awakens and a lot, And J.J. Abrams mm-hmm. is notorious for that very thing. Yeah, he's, yeah. That's right. why, he's good at it. That's why they made him do it. I'd love to see J.J. Abrams and Ryan Johnson in an interview together and see just how much those two don't like each other. <laughs> yeah. I don't even think it's that. I think, I feel like J.J. Abrams is just like, cool. 
I think it's cool that you did yeah. that. Yeah, he probably is, yet. yeah. He's, he's like, but like, now yeah. I got to come in and clean up the pieces, buddy. Yeah. yeah. And it also, to like all the people that star. didn't like The Last Jedi because, like, it pushed these boundaries of, you know, like, having strong women. I mean, what the fuck is that? And, like, yeah. having people of color be main characters. Why isn't white good enough? And, like, honestly, like, all of these things they didn't like about The Last Jedi that talks about the state of the world and the state of othering and the state of all of these things. If they didn't want their Star Wars movie to do that, maybe they shouldn't have let Trump happen. Yeah. And I'm actually saying that without any uh, sarcasm or facetiousness. This is what you're going to start getting. Logan was just like this. Uh, Jack so eloquently put it earlier in this episode Logan builds off of these past X-Men emotions that we have coming in to the point where it doesn't really need to, it's not necessary for them to show where they come from. The emotion is already there. It's already there with Star Wars. It's already there with Luke. And what Brian Johnson did is he did the exact same thing Logan did. He challenged these characters and their ideals and what they are and showed us why they're heroes, not just told us time and time again that Han Solo's a hero and Luke Skywalker's a hero he showed us exactly why they're heroes by breaking them down to their absolute darkest time and showing that they can still come out on top and if you don't like that in a Star Wars movie you're fucked up there's something with you that's not fair no no and you can have problems with Star Wars too I don't want to say that you're wrong if you don't like The Last Jedi no you cannot like it there's tons of problems with this movie to not like I'm saying if you don't like it for those reasons you're looking in the wrong spot and I don't want I don't mean to be like deflammatory towards those people it's just I've had a lot of conversations about this and it seems like for the most part a lot of people don't like it because of these changes that are the very reasons why we love it so right. much. Yeah, and it's confusing. I, I think we're all probably a bit punchy about this movie because of that kind of backlash and because of the, the specific kinds of criticisms that came out of this movie. And it's so much is it's time and time again is people go into went into this movie with preconceived notions of what they thought was going to happen, what Star Wars is, and when they got a movie that challenged that, they didn't like it. Right. And that's if you're going to try to criticize film that's a lazy way to do it but i think star wars is is unique in the way that it is so important to so many people that that's that's what that's why it's such a passionate it's, like it's on both sides like people passionately hate it and people passionately defend it i've only bumped into a few people that are like it's all right it's good. <laughs> Some, somebody from new zealand yeah it's all right yeah it's all right, all right. <laughs> so, you'll find it yeah uh with when it comes to Liking Star Wars in the past and having all of those preconceived notions, for sure. Uh, I feel a lot... This phrase gets thrown around a lot, like, this was a movie made for me. But I have always enjoyed Star Wars films in the past. I've never disliked a Star Wars film. But I've never loved a Star Wars film until this one. And I think for those people who are like, oh man, like, it wasn't what I wanted. I think that's such a silly thing, because don't you want more people to come rally to the thing that you love. Yeah. Don't you want your fandom to be the biggest fandom that's and the, the greatest thing they fandom? don't. They're selfish. Fair and that's, that's want, a shame. They want it their way. Because this got me like on board. I was like pretty much at the point where I was like, you know, if we never see any more Star Wars, I'm okay with that. Because I don't think yeah. they're showing me anything this new like or innovative. End. This movie feels a lot and more this like Hey, maybe the world will end before the next one. Probably. Yeah. I think this movie, <laughs> this movie feels like a beginning because they... It's kind of what Birch was saying. Like they tear, they make these characters fail. Yeah. They put them at the lowest denominator, <laughs> so we can build them back up. And that that I will say, there is a child in this film that I was like, I am that child. 
They've invited nice. me into yeah. this universe. Yeah. I am that child because I can be a part of this. Whereas other right. films in the past, I never felt like, oh, I could have been a part in, of this. In, they're, they're, they're presenting an idea dry. of inclusion. It doesn't matter who you are or where you come or from. Or how many midichlorians you have. Or how many midichlorians you have. Exactly. Or who you're friends with or who your dada is. It's right. that you can be a hero and in this and, and you, can, you can help. Everyone. And that's mm-hmm. a major criticism that I saw as well is the, the specific words, they, it's too Disney. They Disney-fied it. And so much of what makes Disney, Disney is uh, they, they made it good. really it's like the easiest thing. I know it is, got. but when you break it down, you think about what makes Disney, Disney is Disney is really excellent at making movies that are for everyone. Mm-hmm. And The Last Jedi opens up the Star Wars fandom to everyone by breaking down some of the things that make Star Wars in general what it is and, and reevaluating some of those things. And like you said, Byrne, it presents that character of like, it's more for everyone. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's not about legacy. It is not about your bloodline. It is it is about what brings you to the table that makes you, you can be your own reason for being special, mm-hmm. right? And, and it's, got Laura, it's got Laura Dern. And Laura yeah. Dern is fantastic. What? great what? year. What? But Luke says that same type type of stuff too to to Ray. She, right, he says, you know, why take are what you, you know mm-hmm. out of the equation? Right, I'm gonna re-educate you as and, to what is important. Right, exactly. that's exactly what Yoda says to Luke. Right, in the best Star Wars movie. Right, it's like the Force Awakens. We talked to me, Jeremy, and Brian talked about this on our Force Awakens podcast before the Last Jedi came out. And we're doing another Last Jedi episode soon where we're going to really break it down. We're just letting it get a little more age a little ferment. Yeah. I think it's going to age extremely well. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I, The Force Awakens is everybody saw it and people had these negative reactions. The same people I see bashing Star Wars for being too aggressively different. They bash The Force Awakens for being too same. similar. Yeah. What do you want, Goldilocks? What are you like? And we talked <laughs> about this where it's like. What exactly do you want? It just seems like you want this thing. Go write Star Wars then. Right. Go write a book. Write a screenplay. Pitch it. Here's if what it they matters want. to you so much that they give you, you specifically, with your social security number, what you want <laughs> if you think that's so important. A lot of those people wanted Star Wars to end after The Last Jedi. Or after Return of the Jedi. And that's it. Yeah. Because yeah. they're... they're, they're pro- be especially George of, Lucas. They're, <laughs> they're very protective of this franchise this is a franchise that like i said precious people are very precious about star wars they're very protective <laughs> and anytime you try to take it and give it and give other other people the opportunity to like it really strong star wars there's a contingency of strong star wars fandom that will hate that right yeah. and that's the what's exactly happening with this monster that you see on the other side of the table right now <laughs> it me it is I have the opposite of that where I am very protective of Star Wars and I will you know like I have a, tons of problems with The Force Awakens but at the end of the day I'm like Star Wars it's fun it's good just have right. some fun with it yeah. with this one I'm protective of it because like it not fun right. it, it real right. and yeah. and it's sad and it important and it have lots and lots and lots of things to teach everyone and it's doing it in I, I retract it. It's doing it in a fun way to teach you these right. lessons and these morals that are it, very important. It, it presents those morals and those lessons in a digestible, palatable way. Yes, yeah. absolutely. absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's not mean about the lessons. It's, it is a very dark movie at its core. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there is that fun. And that's, again, Disney is for everyone. Disney is giving you these lessons that are hard, dark, real-life lessons through a fun adventure story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's perfect for that. With some crazy cool shots. It's not on my top 17. And I will say this. 
I almost was directly did not want to put it on there just because I didn't want to talk about it anymore when I was, but now you can see like you bring it up and I'm just like, like, well, we had, we, when you listen to Jack and I's last Jedi podcast, it's, it's like the mother thing. We were so pure. We were so so pure. naive. We're like everyone's gonna like I this love, movie. I, you guys on that Star Wars, you're like it, everyone's gonna love this. Yeah. Can you believe we got an amazing Star Wars? People movie? might not like that slow second act, but the, it's okay. The one and thing, the one thing I thought people, minds. the one thing I thought people were not gonna like was that uh, Poe and Finn don't kiss. I mean, <laughs> I, 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 I was you're upset about it for that. the finale, baby. But yeah, I want, actually, I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to talk about what we talked about on our podcast. Mm-hmm. Spoilers. Well, not really spoilers. I'll be vague about it, but. That middle act of the movie, where it is largely Finn's arc with the new yeah, when they're on Rose, C- Canto Bane or whatever. I found at the first at first blush, I found that this is you know nothing really comes of this act. Like yeah. it is somewhat inconsequential, but really when you uh, upon seeing it again, it's I very important. It's yeah, so it's very important. It's yeah. crucial to the lessons of that movie. In the end, I wanted for to sure. speak to that because I'm recorded on radio saying that th- that doesn't really matter. It's for so sure. important. No, it is to important. The themes of that movie. Jack. Did you say something that you believed before and now you think back on it and you realize that I, uh, maybe you weren't correct we and you're apologizing and setting the record straight? specifically call that podcast Hot Takes. So <sighs> that was my hot take at the time. That is insanely adult of you. I, I applaud you, Jack. I reflected upon it and I have learned and I was, I did, was not seeing the whole picture. Mm-hmm. And going back and watching it again. I that is very picture. respectable. I've had a few people, some people we've gotten to, I think the most heated of arguments with about Star Wars go see it a second time and they're like oh I liked it more this time I know five go. separate people that have done that yeah. they went and saw it the second time and they went okay well I had some people like they were like oh I didn't notice the two never mind no, that's it's, spoilers it's, I'm it's, not gonna do I that okay sorry <laughs> oh yeah and it's like that's really important that you pay attention it, to it's everything it's very important that you pay attention screen. to the movie when it's happening and right. not just be seething in your own misery and, and anger because yeah, you don't like what you've seen in your so hate diarrhea yeah, just like let the hate consume you and I think that's what I'm getting back to. What I, I mentioned earlier when we started talking about about the kind of backlash phenomenon is people can very easily be colored by the the color of the room and the way that that the reaction has been. See people reacting very negatively negatively to the Last Jedi. Go into the ne- into the Last Jedi and say, be watching it specifically, watching for problems. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's, this is a movie and, that very much invites that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and going in and saying, like, okay, no one else likes this movie. Everybody's having a really strong reaction to this movie. I'm going to sit here and watch it and try to nitpick apart yeah. every single problem. Instead of just, like, getting transported to a galaxy far, far away exactly. that took place a long time ago. I had yeah. a kid come into the coffee shop I work at, and I didn't – because I didn't care. He seemed annoying. I didn't care about what he said. But my coworker asked him, like, oh, you see Star Wars. What do you think? He was like – well, I thought it was like pretty like inaccurate. Like X wings don't normally work like that, and this is a force. I'm like, what the fuck do you mean inaccurate? It's a Star Wars movie. It's fantasy. If they do it in the movie, now it's, it's canon, it's, bro. That's what it is. <laughs> and also, I've been watching all the Star Wars again lately, even the prequels. There's nothing that happens in that movie that don't happen to any of the other ones, even the new shit. Like all of it contextually makes sense. Like stop trying to hate something. Don't try and hate it. If you don't like it. Let there, that happen naturally. There's definitely a lot of effort in this, and that, it, like, in rounding up the conversation about the Last Jedi, it, it, there's definitely the movie is again just like Mother. There's this big divisive conversation to have about it that is intriguing and will always be connected to its legacy when you think about it. But at the end of the day, the Last Jedi really is a beautiful movie. It pushes Star Wars in a in a positive direction where 
I'm really excited. The only reason I was excited about episode eight is Star Wars, duh. Uh, but because Ryan Johnson was writing and directing yes, it, and I'm right. a fan of his. Yeah. Uh, and now J.J. Abrams is coming back to do episode nine, which I don't like. But at the same time, I'm really excited to see what how he's going to pick up this ball. Right. The, or how he's going to catch it. Like, he's just like, star. he just threw like a, a Hail Mary pass. And J.J. Abrams is going to have to catch this thing. Yeah. And it's about... Is he going to try and please everyone? Is he just going to try and appease himself and what he wants to do? Is he going to go more towards the uh, people that would prefer the similarities of Force Awakens or the people that really prefer now this new taste, this new branch, which is The Last Jedi? And I can honestly say I'd be excited about either because Ryan Johnson is making more Star Wars. Right. So we're going to have a little bit of that taste eventually down the line. I don't mind if they... Play it safe again with episode nine to close it all out and just mm-hmm. like keep it keep it safe. I don't mind. I mean, I think that Ryan Johnson expertly like did some things where like J.J. Abrams can't play it safe on everything. No. He raised the bar. Yeah, like Ryan Johnson's just like, no, you can't have this character be in that third movie. No, you can't have this conflict be in that movie. I made it so you just can't fucking do it. So go make a different movie. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's it's crazy. The authorship of this movie is Oof. insane. Chef's kiss. Chef's kiss. Chef's kiss. There we go. Good. <laughs> All right, uh, we're gonna take a good on the last Jedi. Right, we're gonna take a quick break, real quick, and when we come back, we're gonna be hitting uh, the rest of our movies, including what pretty much is everybody's uh, just about favorite movie of the year all around. Uh, so we'll be getting to that in just a little bit after this commercial break. Hey guys, Mike Birch here, just popping in real quick. Uh, Didn't think that you were sick of my voice, so I decided to do the advertisement as well. Just gonna tell you real quick, head on over to storyscreenbeacon.com and check out all of our top 10 lists that we all have. We got Bernadette on there. We got Robbie on there. We got Jack on there. We got Diana on there. We got Jeremy Kolodzewski, that cute, sexy little thing. He made a top 10 as well. That's my brother you're talking about. Oh, hi, Jack. I didn't see you there. I I was just talking... Don't call my brother sexy in front of me. Okay, sorry. Uh, uh, Jeremy is uh, has a good personality. Uh, and my list is on there as well. Uh, so you should guys definitely go check that out over there. Make sure you follow us on... That, Philip. Make sure you follow us... No, we're keeping it. We're doing it. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at story underscore screen underscore beacon. Uh, you can catch all the new articles and stuff that we put out over there. And storyscreenbeacon.com is the name of the site. Go check it out after you get done listening to the rest of this podcast. And I hope you enjoy what is left of it. See you later. Hello and welcome back. It doesn't have a name. It's a special edition episode. That's up. Best uh, goodbye, twenty seventeen. Goodbye. See you in hell. See you in hell. Uh, We're back. We're here to talk about uh, some more movies uh, from twenty seventeen, which. In uh, this humble voice's opinion, I believe that 2016 and 2017, 10 years from now, is going to be looked back on as a golden age in cinema. The amount of great, not just good, great movies that we had in 2016 and 2017 combined is devastating. This year, it's looking a little blank right now, but there's a lot of indies that haven't been announced yet. I was going to say, you read off a few, I think we'll come back to this, but you read off a few 2018 movies, and I was like, well, not every year can be good. No, (laughs) especially after, you got to think about it. In 2016 and 2017, we had some amazing directors and creative presences. Uh, 
make these fantastic movies. They're taking a year off. They're taking a year or two off, so they're not going to be coming back for a little bit. 2019 will yeah. be pretty good, probably. I mean, we get the we get the Ron Howard joint solo coming up soon. We'll talk about this uh, at the yeah, end. Right there. But we are going we'll to see. jump right back into it. Uh, so, Jack, what divisive movie would you like to uh, talk about next? Uh, this one actually is not divisive because oh. we're the only ones who saw it. It's uh, a ghost story. You guys are the only two. We're the only two that saw. <laughs> we were the only two that saw this movie. It no, no, no. Divisive, coming off of Casey Affleck, maybe a little. Maybe bit. that's right. fair. He's under a sheet for most of the movie. So yeah. Right. They, they, you get to forget. You're right. They they rectified that problem by just throwing a sheet over his head. <laughs> That's not a joke. <laughs> it's very, it's really funny. Like the original cut of this film was uh, Casey Affleck. There wasn't a sheet over him or anything. It was Casey Affleck as like he was just himself. He was a ghost. He was wearing what he was wearing when he died, and he's walking around doing all this stuff. And they actually hired Christopher Plummer to have a sheet over him and reshoot all the scenes they did in eighteen days. It's pretty amazing what it, they actually. It's really amazing because Christopher Plummer is just a phenomenal presence. Uh, absolutely 100% deserves to get uh, Best Supporting Actor nominated uh, over Patrick Stewart. Absolutely. Duh. That's a dumb... That's be the dumbest... But we can talk about that in A ghost story, yeah. A ghost story is a movie that for me was kind of just like a warm hug, sort of. And not in the way that it's... It is, you know, sappy or warm or anything like that. It's definitely not. It is... It is meditative and quiet and melancholy and, quite frankly, very sad. Um, and it is a movie about loss, loss of life and loss of love and, and a reflection on a life. And it is just it just feels it's a very it, it feels like a very small emotional movie that is just. It, it is your like, I just need a reason to sit down and cry and like kind of feel mm-hmm. and like get some feelings out kind of movie. And it was just such a nice movie to sit down and meditate on. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the kind of movie after it ended, I was just like, I just sat there. You know, usually a movie ends and I'll go do something else or I'll, I'll you know, I don't know, fucking look at my phone or whatever the hell we do. And <laughs> this movie, I just kind of sat there for a good long time after it ended and just kind of like had some quiet time. And it's, it is the right kind of movie for that. And it's definitely not my, you know, if I was to pick three movies, it's not in my favorite three movies of the year. I think we had a lot of crossover between our lists where you guys covered some of my other favorite movies of the year. But it is a movie that I think is unique and special this year. Uh, I think it's definitely one worth mentioning because I think a lot of, a lot of people probably missed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's definitely a movie I want to shine a, a spotlight on. I have on. a feeling it's probably going to come to Netflix sometime soon or Amazon Prime or something like that. And I think it will probably... I think it's on Prime now. I think I it'll probably pick up, pick up some steam once it's readily available for streaming. Because mm-hmm. it is the right kind of like sitting alone or with a significant other partner or anything like that. And just, just sit down and watch it and kind of let it wash over you and have that sort of response mm. emotional response to it it's uh, i mean it's on both of our lists top 10 mm-hmm. it's on my top 10 uh it's a phenomenally beautiful gentle sad uh affecting movie gentle is a really good yeah it's it's word. very it's dealing with uh some very broad things that are just very like yep yeah, that that's a thing like yeah you feel sad with this stuff and these things can be daunting. Uh, the the beginning of the movie really deals with the setup of these characters. It deals with a, a man and a, and a, and a wife and, and living in a house and the man dies uh, rather suddenly and we get to watch as the, the man's uh, ghost, his spirit, 
um, wanders uh, the, the the house that he is now ki- the, the kind of trapped in. It deals with the idea of hauntings, follows the rules that have been set up with like other ghost stories of lore and kind of expands on those in like an adult way. It's uh, David Lowry is the director. He also did Pete's Dragon from, I believe, last year. He also did the another Casey Affleck joint, Ain't These Bodies Saints, which is a phenomenal movie. And a, a good Jack, uh, he has a movie coming out this year, actually, because the man is a worker and he keeps working. He's got the old man and the gun with Robert Redford coming out okay, this year. Okay, cool. I mean, Ghost Story is not a movie that I imagine cost or took a lot of time. No, he's it's, he's from like the Terrence Malick school of yeah, uh, filmmaking. He's very, but he does he does Terrence Malick better than Terrence Malick does well, now. I, I, you talked about Terrence Malick a lot in your write-up of the film and Terrence Malick is the kind of director who does these sort of grandiose ideas mm-hmm. you know, tree of life and like it's kind of a uh, situational poetry ghost a ghost story like touches upon those things but i think it's just so much like you said it's sweet and gentle mm-hmm. about the ways it does those things. it, it, it can, can be so it, it could have been so pretentious could have been. with its uh like very like four hipster three. four by three with the edges cut off exactly kind looks, of filmmaking really but looks, it really works that works very well because i've seen pictures <coughs> uh, on the internet when i was trying to find pictures for both of our um our lists uh people they've released like um 16 by 9 like they've released a widescreen uh, frames of it and it doesn't have the same feel at all because this that that framing that four by three really not only gives us like this kind of timelessness plus timely feel it also goes to that idea of it's like hugging you it's it's a very closed space and your your eyes are never really wandering anywhere and yet everything else that's happening around our characters and the point of view is beautiful and shot very beautifully, and it's almost like a hindrance that they put on themselves to expand on that beauty by bringing the screen down so small. And it's it's a wonder that they're able to make such a miracle out of it. It also gives you sort of a sense of voyeurism, as yes. you feel like you're looking through a window at something. Or a and camera is, lens. Exactly, and then it's so much what the movie is, is the story of Casey Affleck's ghost haunting by one way or another just experiencing this looking back on his life mm-hmm. and it, it plays with nonlinear time as well which is one of it my plays with things. time and space in a yeah. really really uh kind of a uh, fresh way it yeah. i wouldn't go so far as to say it's original because other films have dealt with this idea of time and how to shoot time but it again it does it in a very naturalistic human way that mm-hmm. feels very personal and real like this whole movie could have been so pretentious. There's even a moment in the film where we are introduced to a kind of uh, hipster party. It deals with that where level of pretension. They are, and it, it and it shows this like pretend these pretentious people saying pretentious things and acting all pretentious. Like that scene in Ingrid Goes West, kind of. Kind of like that. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Actually. And uh, another phenomenal <laughs> film from last year, in my opinion. Uh, <laughs> and we slowly start understanding that like this like hipster dude who is just like dressed up to look like what we think of when we think of hipster and he actually kind of looks a lot like david lowry only david lowry has this huge mario mustache he's amazing he's an amazing person it's a me it's it's a him uh and uh as he continues on in this monologue about time and space and meaning and life and love and everything in between and everything that holds us together and binds us it starts making sense to even the most um practical or impractical mind everything that he's saying are kind of kind of becomes these these altruisms, like they, they are, they, 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 
these truths that are indisputable, that there are things that we don't understand and there are things that we will never understand. And those are the beautiful things that exist within all of us. And that's an inarguable point to make. And the movie has all of these moments that could come across as very pretentious. It's also got one of the coolest haunting scenes ever. Like when you think of a haunting scene, we're like, oh, the chairs are on the table or, oh, there's like things flying out of the cupboard. Like it's got a great scene of that where we get to see it from the ghost's point of view it's so tragic in that way yes you see something like that mm-hmm. it's i really like that movie it's a really good movie and i don't want to say too much about it because i i don't want to give anything away i yeah. i cannot recommend it enough it's a good watch get somebody that you love and that you at least think loves you and <laughs> sit down and somebody, watch the damn, movie somebody that you're willing to sit down and like have a good cry with because mm-hmm. i feel like it is like that kind of movie that will just like get that out of you yeah well, I definitely. if you're not a crier and you need a good reason. <laughs> oh, I'm a crier. I let movies just get me. Sure. <laughs> I definitely still want to see it. And what spoke to me, even just from seeing the trailers, is that it seems, too, to deal with your connection to space. And I'm very moved by that because I think we've all had homes or places that we've mm-hmm. lived in that feel very much like a character and I think that's kind of the way that and Mike was describing. It's a different yeah. way of looking at haunting. Right, mm-hmm. right. And yeah, that really appeals to me. Yeah. And I like ghosts. Yeah, me too. Ghosts mm-hmm. are cool. Especially sheet ghosts. Like the sheet ghosts. Like yeah. Beetlejuice, like sheet ghosts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very classic way to, to kind of reimagine haunting. And Rooney Mara too. I can't, we can't not. Rooney Mara is... Oh amazing in this movie. The fact that she can even lay in the same bed as Casey Affleck for a scene, let alone touch him, is... I mean, I, 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 I joke, I kid. <laughs> she is phenomenal in this movie. She has. She is like in one of my slimy. top five scenes of the year that would have been one of the most amazing Oscar reels to show. Seriously, we've I mentioned the scene briefly in my top list. Is it her uh, spaghetti n- scene? N- n- it, is. <laughs> it is a lot like the spaghetti scene from then, Killing of a Sacred Deer, this, yeah. I, we're dancing around it, but you watch that scene and you're just like... They must have gotten this in one. Well, right? and, and this they is, it's have, like, you're watching that scene and you're like, this isn't a movie, this is art. Yeah. And I know that that might sound pretentious, but fuck you, that's how I feel. And that's what it is, feels like. That's the whole conversation around this movie, I think, is it, it, it when you describe it, it sounds really pretentious. Mm-hmm. But it's so honest about the way it pret- portrays all this stuff that mm-hmm. it really is, I think, emotionally it's affecting. The, uh, the thing that we've talked about since we started the podcast, it comes up time and time again, is the difference between cheesy and sincerity. Mm-hmm. And it is a fine line, and it all depends on your outlook on it. Like, Wonder Woman can either be considered one of the cheesiest or one of the most sincere movies you've ever seen, and it depends on which side of this topic of conversation that you are on. Absolutely. Um, but we will uh, digress with a ghost story. Highly recommend it myself. Absolutely. Um, Christopher Plummer's amazing in it. <laughs> and we will move on over to Robbie. Mm. You wanted to talk about... Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Nice. Directed by Martin... McDonough and, and written by Missouri. Martin Missouri. Missouri. <laughs> yeah, Alaska. now it's a uh, rewritten entirely. <laughs> and his, and his middle name is Ebbing. Just not a lot of people know that. Martin McDonough. Ebbing, Missouri. <laughs> no, I can't take you Missouri. seriously. Yeah, I know. Um, three billboards. Wait, what? For short. <laughs> three billboards for short is. It's an incredible... I'm making a joke, bro. Oh, three <laughs> bit boards outside of Missouri. Yes, and... Mm. Oh. Missouri. 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 Robbie? 
It's a really incredible movie, as are all the movies on our list. But uh, it's a very, it's a very brutally honest movie. It's a movie that doesn't really give a shit if you agree with its politics or not. Uh, and it's it. It's also a movie that is very device, divisive and at the center of a lot of controversy. That you know, there's some conversations about it that may be earned, and there's a lot that's not. And um. The thing, you know, Martin McDonough is also a playwright that shines through in this movie as well, where you have an amazing ensemble group of characters who all go through major changes, major growth, go places, and all come from things you may not expect and all end up in places you may not expect. Like real life. Like real life. Mm-hmm. And it, it's it's just one it's just one of the best movies of the year. I think it's um it's a part of Martin McDonough's kind of style. It's kind of like a, in a way a trilogy to In Bruges, Seven Psychopaths, and then this movie, Stories of Revenge, Vendettas. But uh, the movie kind of shows you in a corner and it's just like, if you don't agree with me, you're culpable to this problem. And that may not necessarily be the case, but the movie's making you argue against it mm. or argue for it. Yeah, I'd say with the, uh, this is another divisive one that we got on here. Uh, we like those. We like those. Mm. They're interesting. They're good for conversation. We're thinkers. And talking about yeah. them movies. If we all but agree, I, this is this is the one divisive. This is the one divisive one where I agree with both sides. Uh, I I do the divisive thing with Three Billboards is how how it represents and treats its black characters and and how it represents and treats the redemptive arc, the so called redemptive arc of one of its characters who we are told has done despicable things to people of color that we are never shown but it is led we, we are introduced to his character through uh other characters stating that this is what this guy has done that he has tortured a black person in this town yeah. and i think that it is a great conversation to have it is a good thing to bring up and it is a it, it, and it's something that everybody can learn from it's okay to challenge content and, and it's very it's good okay and and that, i don't but... know i i won't go so far as to say that you know like it was martin mcdonough's intent to do this i do not think that he meant he definitely meant for us to start talking about the things that he's talking about in the movie and one of them is the main thing is call out culture the three billboards is about a woman who places up three billboards questioning um police uh handling of the murder of her daughter and the town itself and the town itself and holding them culpable it's all about culpability and the call out culture in sometimes in our anger and our desperation of feeling like we are being treated less than and we're not getting um we're not getting what we believe we deserve we can get angry at the wrong people and 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 start to make matters worse and in Three Billboards, we are dealing with a cast of characters that are all dealing with different things from uh, racism to cancer to culpability to abuse. Uh, everybody is dealing with these different things, and they are banging around all over the place. And Frances McDormand's, her entire arc is about learning that sometimes just because you can call someone out on something doesn't necessarily mean that that is the correct person to be approaching about this problem. It doesn't necessarily help. And it doesn't necessarily help. And that is exactly what the the backlash to this film is doing. I'm not saying that it's wrong. 
fuck yeah, let's talk more about stuff like that because it definitely is there and I'm not going to disagree with it. But at the same time, this movie is very much talking about that. And I think that it is at least in everybody's best interest to get on the same page, whether you support or don't support this movie, if we're going to have the conversation about the problems that it does present. I also think one of the one of the things that it seems like the backlash to this movie has been so focused around is the redemption or perceived redemption of one of the characters who is a racist police officer who has enacted serious violence against people of color as well as people not of color yeah but he is he is a fucked up guy he is a he is for all intents and purposes a bad person yes he is an entitled white straight male right exactly and 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 a cop too right (laughs) on cherry on top when we did our podcast the first time my part of what i part of my feeling towards the movie was that i i did not feel at first that the redemption or the pivot on his character was earned because it felt somewhat quick to me. But Robbie, you were actually the one who pointed out that the whole point is that the only way to turn someone like that or change someone like that's perspective is to show them compassion. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's through compassion that that character is able to have his change of heart. You know, he enacts violence against people he does all this wrong stuff, but it's only when someone says, I see you and I see that you have problems and that you have been misguided and that you feel a certain way because of the context that your life has taken. But mm-hmm. I also see good in you and I know that you're better than that. Yeah. And I know that you can do it's, better than it's, that. It's a beautiful sentiment for and Martin think, McDonough to present in these times where everybody else yeah. is saying all these different things right. about how we treat each other and compassion. I think that his message is one of the most valuable. And I think that that's why I react so... I don't want to seem dismissive at all because every conversation is worth having, especially surrounding the conversations that are happening in this movie. There's certainly a lot more nuance to the the criticism of this movie than, say, Last Jedi. Exactly. There's a a respectability, you know, like these these are people saying like an entire culture of people is being sidelined um, for these white characters and right. their problems. That's way more than yeah. just like, I don't com- like ladies in my Star War. Mm-hmm. And that is right. a completely valid criticism of this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if that's necessarily the intent that this movie had mm-hmm. in the first place, but I think that message that I just mentioned mm-hmm. of, of showing compassion is... Very important. Is important. And I think, and I think that, it's being missed. Mm-hmm. I think people are... He's redeemed in a way, but I don't think he goes through like a full redemption mm-hmm. no. when he tries to do good. Like he gets burned in the end, and like even when he's trying to go on this path of redemption, it is not easy. And he's hitting roadblocks. And like to to say that like he does a whole one eighty and becomes a totally di- different character, and the movie treats it as such is just wrong. It's, 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 not it's true. just wrong. Yeah, that's, like, that's completely off the yeah. mark of it. It's like yeah. you're not watching. And to you're say not that he's, the movie. he's completely yeah. forgiven for everything that he's done is not, not true. I mean, his yeah. life is more or less shattered. But I mean, yeah. that's really up to the audience member. Like, are you the one forgiving him, and that's why you feel upset about? It? Because right. you should not forgive no. him because does does bad does bad do Still but the, has the done only, bad things. I think yeah. the, the the more important thing to take away is that the only way to change people's minds, and this is a super important lesson to learn. Yeah. Again, in this. In 2017, as we look back on 2017, is the only way that you can change anyone's mind is by showing some amount. It doesn't. You can't change people who have these opinions with anger and fury. Like that's not. 
Because they're the not going to listen to you. Why would they listen to you? Don't no. Hate feeds hate. It's right. like no. It's it's the same thing when you have to understand where people come from and like why they have these opinions and like when you go to different places, even in our country, even in the world, it's like even when it comes to LGBTQ problems, people aren't educated about where these things come from yeah. in school. We were talking about this last night. Yeah, at the bar, like they yeah. they don't. They just literally don't know. And if you're just gonna sit there and scream at them for not knowing, even they say something super offensive, even they say something that really cuts you at your core. I think there has to be a bigger person mentality and being like, I'm going to challenge what you're saying. We're going to have a talk about it. If you start getting real crazy and weird, then it's going to be a fight. But it's an education. and compassion It's education problem. and compassion. Yeah. Yeah. For people, too. Because, yeah, no one wants to be dismissive of things that necessarily this group, especially, yeah. can't really speak Dude, we to. We are so woke. <laughs> it hurts. Um, our shit. Okay. Our shit is tight. You've <laughs> broken my rules of saying hipster like a thousand times, uh, and now you've said woke. Well, I'm saying I was time using, out. My now look, I, you know that I don't like. No, 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 no. Wait, 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 no, no, no. I need to defend myself with that because I don't like the word hipster either. I was saying it because that's exactly what they were going for in a ghost story. <laughs> uh, yeah, two things about this film. A few particular scenes in general is that yes, we don't see a completely 180 arc on Dixon's character no. at all. But I think what people are forgetting when they watch this fil- film and they're like all hot and heavy and super heated in a certain way about this film is that they forget that the end of this film is a cliffhanger. Yeah. We don't know necessarily how these characters are going to continue to act for the rest of their lives. They are still flawed characters. I don't think in any way does this film say, none of these characters are flawed now. We fixed them all. They're definitely yeah. not like, on... There's no. never... They're not on the morally correct highway by the end of the no. movie. Like, Throughout the movie. Yeah. They're, they're going, up they're the going entire around time. things like... Uh, Francis McDormand's character some, at some point during the beginning of the movie completely belittles a man who's just doing a serviceable job. Right. And just belittles him for the sake of her own... Uh, holier than thouness, for I mean, lack of a better term. She's like, she, filled with anger. That's she the thing. thinks she, that she is in the right because her argument is a just one, and, and it's about she, how you go about to trying to start the conversation. Is what really defines where the conversation I mean, is coming like, from. A, is it a, to a, help somebody or is it to belittle someone else? It's an arms right. race of outrage. Yes. Yeah. And That's so much great. Of that, yeah, fantastic. So much of that is exactly what call on culture is right now because. The problem is that the the injustices are so deeply ingrained that everyone is so angry. And now they get to say something. These pervasive injustices that we have dealt with as a society for so long that all we have, or all many people have right now, is to call these things out and get, like I said, we're getting punchy about this kind of thing Mm -hmm. because so many people have dealt with this thing for so long that the only thing, it's lashing out. Right mm-hmm. and Time's lashing up. out is is something that is it, it, it it's it's justified for sure. But I I think kind of the point of this is that it's not the thing that's going to help us all become more on the same page and move on and like actually grow. Mm-hmm. Right. And the divisiveness of it, again aside, rounding it out, the movie itself. It's very well hilarious. made. Hilarious. So good. Packed with amazing, not just amazing characters, but amazing actors portraying these characters. Oh, yeah. We got Lucas Hedges popping on in on this one as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got Teen Heartthrob Woody Harrelson knocking it out of the park. Um, Sam Rockwell kicking fucking ass left and right in this movie. Frances McDormand, it's uh, one of her best roles since, uh, what was her last movie? 
I mean, that, that was her <laughs> lot. Like, she's fucking amazing. Oh, she's a powerhouse. No, she's been in something recently. Yeah, no, no, no. I was saying, like, she's always fucking she's great. Always great. Uh, yeah. And she, uh, it's funny because Martin McDonough, Martin Ebbing McDonough, wrote, <laughs> wrote yeah, this part. I got it. Specifically <laughs> uh, for Frances McDormand. Right. Wanted her to play the part, and she took it. And now she's getting all the awards because, honestly, I really feel like with a little bit of exaggeration, this is how Frances McDormand is. You see her on stage and in interviews talking about this movie. Yeah. And in this time and place right now, being a woman of Frances McDormand's intellect and um, creativeness and mm-hmm. strength, she is pissed and she ain't having none of that. It's funny you see her character in the movie and you're like, how much acting are you doing? Yeah. It's not a spoiler because it's from the trailer. Her rolling by that reporting crew and just be like, it ain't over, bitch. Like, it's all of that. Every line, every word that comes out of her mouth is one of the funniest things. This movie is hilariously funny. And then the, that's yeah. the thing. Like, it's so is Seven Psychopaths. One of my favorite yeah. movies mm-hmm. in Bruges. Like, these movies that know how to have kind of like a, a, a um, kind of like a blanket of levity to hold up all of these really hard hitting subjects, but still kind of be soft on the landing, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Well, even as you were saying that level of compassion mm-hmm. in this film, at, at first you see everyone taking down everyone else yeah. until a certain turning point in the film. And yeah, this level of compassion doesn't just go just with Dixon's character. No. It's, Across the board. Yes. And hopefully people walk away seeing that and not the outrage that they're seeing. It's it's like you said before, Mike, it's it's, these directors sometimes, it feels like they're a finger on the pulse because Mm -hmm. they are making these movies a couple years out before where they actually hit. And this movie so much is about call-out culture and how destructive call-out culture can be, how justified it can be because of the injustices that, that have caused call out culture to happen but also how ultimately it's it might not be that 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 method of of calling out this injustice might not be the way to move forward mm-hmm. as a society when we're you, all just when, learning when you exactly. call when learning. you call out something you are entering you are choosing a side in a battle that is going on and you need to understand that if you start a fight by calling something out it ne- your point needs to be well thought out you need to have completely considered the other person's thing or the, their opinion and you need to be aware that you are now joining something that is much bigger than you and much bigger than them and if you are not 100% accurate that your opinion is not only justified but it is required you are going to lose that fight and it is going to look like anybody that talks about something like that it's- it's not even that. It's just... Well, no, no. This is you... like the idea of where call-out culture is going. And that's... Three Billboards discusses that. That's the... that This is like the arc of one of the characters understanding their own culpability in this very thing that they are calling out by starting this and making such a big deal out of it. They've made it even worse. Right. In some regards and right. stuff like that. And that's it. Is Are you being destructive with your call-out culture or are you... Trying to be constructive. Are you trying to fix something or are you trying to burn everything down? Exactly. That's very much. Are yes. you trying to help or are you trying to belittle something? Yeah. Yeah. So, like, where where does your anger lead you? I think is like the big outstanding moral of the movie. Right. And perfect and movie for this time. It, oh, it shows yes. that too because I don't think Frances McDormand's character is 
you know, th- by the end of the movie, has she really learned that? And no, it's her, God, her, God, no. Her she's, arc puts her in a worse place. Well, she's yeah, yeah, and I, I don't want to get into, like, spoilers or anything like yeah, that with yeah. that, where she but is at the end of the movie. It's important to recognize that it's so hard to learn that lesson because because of the injustices that happen can lead you to become so deeply emotionally mm-hmm. angry yeah. that it's very hard to be accepting and compassionate and try to grow other people or inform other people that it's it's difficult to get there. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think, though, slowly, yeah, you start to see her understand how awful she's been to certain right. other characters in the film. Mm-hmm. And she slowly starts making... She figures that a out. A little bit of, yeah. yeah but she's stubborn. You know? Peter Red Dinklage's Han. character yeah. is very important and And her ex-husband's girlfriend, yeah. even. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, oh, absolutely. Right. Yeah. Who, she, she's amazing. She's so funny. She's so, and John Hawks, too, her husband. Same. Like, this cast is just out of control. Yeah, it's, it's the same, um, same woman from The Babysitter. Right, which I can't remember her name right now because wine, beer, gin. Yes. Um, yeah. But we're going to move yeah. on. We, we, we got some real good stuff that felt real good to talk about that. Now we're going to talk about... Something sweet and sensual. No, no, like, oh, so many curves. It's almost as if they're daring you to desire them. I want to talk about one of my my second favorite film of the year, Call Me By Your Name. Call Me By Your Name. We discovered the trailer when we were doing an episode of Coming Attractions, which, Mm. listen up. uh, (laughs) That'll be back. What do we call our listeners? Storyheads? I don't know. Yeah, Ooh, that's I, don't know. Sure, you, well, I just made that. Heads? Man, I am good at this. No, um, we. Uh, what is it? Screenheads? No, I don't know. Storyheads? I haven't thought about it it's at all. H cuties, I think. H cuties. <laughs> Scott, oh. coming on in. Here we go. Um, that was pretty good. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> Calling by your name. We found the trailer. We discussed it on the coming attractions. Coming attractions is coming back. We're gonna get you ready for 2018. It's coming. Check that out. It's coming. We got to let some uh, things happen. We just need queue. some new fucking trailers. That's yeah. all we need. We need some new goddamn trailers, and we've been year. getting some now. So, uh, But Call Me By Your Name lived up to everything that I wanted it to be. I told oh. you that I thought I was going to love it. It is, again, another coming-of-age uh, story starring uh, actual teen heartthrob Timothy <laughs> Chalamet. Um, he looks almost too young for my liking. Sometimes no, I look I at him and I'm like, that's, Damn, "Yeah, I mean, he's he's twenty. He's, so he's I think he's like twenty one years old in reality. He's playing a seventeen year old, and <laughs> he's and he's lean, and he's mm-hmm. you know he's he's just the kind. He has just the kind of physique where you're just like, that's a young boy. Mm-hmm. But that's a young boy. Everyone, I'm, not, I'm kidding. That's not a real thing. I'm joking, <laughs> joking around. Wow. It wasn't a good joke. Everyone has Man, the physique in this movie good. where it's like, yeah, it's summer in Italy and you're never wearing clothes. Because right. Because you just have the, that like super that's lean. It's like before one of midnight. My, one of exactly. my favorite yes. things about this movie, and I'm not the first one ever to say this, and it's actually why I left saying this out of my write-up for on my top ten list is it, when you're done with this movie, you feel like you just took a vacation to Italy. It really because, does. It um, so does. Uh, uh, I'm trying to remember. Uh, uh, what is it? Luca Guadagnino. Luca Guadagnino, the director, um, makes it... You can feel and and smell and taste everything that's going on in this movie when film is usually reserved to what you see and what you hear this movie is able to activate all five of the senses and then it also brings like the heart in there as well and the actual sensuality of it and that's why I called the I keep calling the film a sensation to everybody and that's how I started out where it's a sensation and it's not just in its its scope of like 
telling this amazingly original coming of age story and not also being this like great uh, story that represents um, the gay community and just like the idea of finding yourself and understanding who you are and just the characters, the gay characters in this movie are only being dealt oppositions that they themselves are building around them and what they perceive those to be without giving anything away. The movie is, I want to live in the world that this movie, I want to live in 1983 Northern Italy in this world and be friends with Michael Stobarg and, and his mom and him and Army Hammer. I want Army Hammer to visit again. Because Army <laughs> Hammer is, uh, th- he deserves Best Supporting Actor Happy this year. Leaves. I know a lot of people are up for it, but he's phenomenal. I can't talk about this movie enough. I think this is another movie that only me and Jack have seen, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Jack, what, what did you think about? I, I, I think I go back to the same kind of sentiments that I feel about some of the other uh, empathy-inducing movies in this list. It is so good at establishing characters who are interesting and likable and relatable or just or or enviable or admirable in the way that and and build such a a a perfect setting in that that 80s italy where everything everyone's just hanging out all summer long the weather is beautiful everyone's going to the to to go swimming or ride bikes (laughs) everything's pastel it's beautiful. It's so nostalgic and reminiscent of just a happier time and a feeling of over this period of time, in this beautiful setting, in this beautiful time, falling in love with somebody. And for the same ways that these other movies can communicate empathy with what it feels like to be in this sort of situation or or communicate that kind of context, it is... It, it, nothing about this movie feels like uh, this is a gay love story. Absolutely. This yeah. is just a love story. Mm-hmm. And it happens to be between two men. And it is intoxicating the, the, the romance that these two men have. Oh, good. Yes. It really is. A- no, absolutely. You feel it. You do. And the movie also has another runtime that it takes its time. And you live inside this world with them. And you understand the relationship. And you get to actually see it grow naturally. I've never seen, I've never seen how actual real life relationships operate how they start they originate they grow they evolve they break down they grow further i've never seen it done better than in this movie it is a and it's in such a short time too because it's only over a summer a summer it's a phenomenal summer romance movie Ugh. it sounds so. like the kind of antithesis antithesis to like maybe moonlight which came out last year mm-hmm. um or it's like being a queer character in this community is like the hardship. It's the hardship of going through that and there's living a, in this There's place, a you know? little bit of that, and they and they really do a great job too. Of that's just kind of you know it's in it's by no means an afterthought. That is forefront on what's going on, but it, what Jack's saying is very true in it that it is a a love story first and foremost. It, the specifics that doesn't, that doesn't get in the way of the romance. The yeah. way that this romance gotcha. The more the more looming threat the yes. more looming threat is that one of the love interests is only there for the summer. The summer's going to And he's end. going to go away uh, and he's older. Yeah. yeah. He's older. He's been through the things that the younger character is going done. through now and he's like, "Listen, I made mistakes when I was your age and the people that I made those mistakes with were not as kind as I am and I don't I don't want to I don't want to hurt you the way that they hurt me. In a sense, that's not specifically what it is. Right. But that's what's going on, and that's far more interesting than, you know, the whole, like, coming out 
story that we've yeah. heard yeah. time and time again. Which this is a, is a different yeah. one that treats their that treats their sexuality both based on gender and based on personality with respect. It's, the thing yeah. is, if it, it could have very easily been swapped for a heterosexual relationship, and you yeah. would have felt the same way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's not, and it, and it's the way that it treats the relationship that they build with each other. Yeah, and the way that the, all the other characters around this react to them. It is oh, not. Oh God, like, yeah. It's not like. Because there's also the barrier of Timothy Chalamet's character being 17 and Armie Hammer being 26. And being so a student like, of his age, father's. There's an age mm. gap in there as well. So, like, there's a little bit Is of that. Is he that old? He's supposed to be 26 or something. In the movie? Yeah, I mean, I, I figured it was like early mid, 20s because he's in college. Yeah. It came out early when this movie came out. School, he's in grad school, right. Yeah. But And, and yeah, that's that the whole, whole thing. thing too. There's when... a weird thing where it's the age of consent in 1983, Italy was 14. Right. right. And, you know, and he, his parents are there the whole time. It's not They're hiding in a sense, but the parents are almost like fully aware just they of what's it. going, they yeah, get course. it. They get what's going and, on. And yeah. the thing that I think is so magical about this movie is that the, the barrier to, it, it's so well representative of queer culture because the barrier of the romance that these two individuals have with each other mm-hmm. just dissolves away. Yeah. And what you're left with is a very genuine portrayal of romance. Yeah. So and it's fucking the gorgeous. The movie uh, made me like Sufjan Stevens again. Oh, yeah. you stopped. Sufjan Stevens. Stevens. What's wrong with you? Oscar nominated. Oscar nominee. Oscar nominee. Come on, that song Chicago. That Stevens. album Chicago. Is the song or the album called? Is it Chicago? on Chicago? Uh, Mystery of Love. I have no idea. I, I mean, think he wrote this that, sure. this song for this you know movie. I'm about. pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't think I so. Think I was talking music. to Diana about this, and she was like, "I think that that's an older song." And if I was thinking about that, and I need to check into that, and I probably should have checked before we started talking yeah, about it. Me too. But well, I thought it was really interesting. This time. The song. It, it, best it, original it, song. No, then it's best should, original song. I feel like that should be for this film. Then. I think it's for, for this the film. film, right? To get the nomination. I was saying, I was like, if he did, if that is yeah. the way that it worked out, right? No, then it's I'm, an original song for this. Right, movie. but I'm saying like, if they. Is it possible? Yeah, it's got to be an original song, right? It's got to be. For, that. It's gotta for be. this film, yeah. I feel like I've been listening to that song for years. Maybe that just speaks to the power yeah, of just like how that his song. Music is, I think. A lot uh, of his music is very repetitious, but also very good. And it it just the when they the way they use it in this movie is it's perfect. Yeah, they got about three or four Sufjan Stevens needle drops, and mm-hmm. each one a plus is. Not so much A+. plus. It depends on your tastes. So I've heard some people that are like, it kind of took me out of it well, a little bit. But at the same time, it yeah. kind of depends on where you are. Yeah, but but the, last, 17... the last Sufjan Stevens needle drop, if that doesn't absolutely wreck, you. wreck your <laughs> shit, you need to read some poetry and loosen up. Right. If you were 17 <laughs> listening to that, yeah. falling in love with somebody... It's going to fuck you up. It's like Elliot Smith or something, too. Where yes. it's just like, my right. heart. I'm very sorry. Right. I had to fact check it because that was bugging me. He's 24 years old. Oliver is Oliver 24, 24 okay. years old. Right. And and uh, Timothy Chalamet's character is... Um, why can't I remember his 17. name right now? Say 17. Uh, Elio? Elio. Elio. Elio? Yeah. Right. Elio, okay. like the pizzas. Elio, crustless pizzas? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Let's not talk about it. Jack and I locked eyes like about to fight. <laughs> now, hold on a second. Now, hold on a second. We will drop this real quick uh, because we got to the bottom of it. Oh, here we go. Thank you. The crust is everything that is on the outside of the bread. Oh. I've already had this conversation with these guys. The crust guys. is everything that's on the outside of the bread, and everything that is inside the, the bread, the breadiness of that cru- of said crust is called the crumb. Mm. 
and here okay, we are. Fact check that. I he went two to bakers. Baker. You went to bakers. I went to bakers. I know oh, bakers damn. personally, and, and they were like, "This is what's up," and I was like, "You got it." So you want? I can go to my local pizza spot and actually ask them what they think, and they're just gonna tell me to fuck off. You want fucking cheese? I'm gonna give this a baker's kiss. Oh. Wow. <laughs> All right, moving on. Uh, call me by your name. Cannot. It's it's number two. I've only seen it on my list. It's, I, I, I cannot wait to see this movie. It could again. take my number ten spot. It is absolutely beautiful. My number ten spot beautiful. is so open because I missed a lot. Not a lot of films, but I missed like a good chunk of films that I knew could have taken that for sure. Mm-hmm. It was a beautiful movie. Moving on, Bernadette. Yes, your next. I'm the your next, next one. Movie. All right, so another one we thought we definitely should talk about on the specific podcast Peace. is Yorgos Lanthimos's The Killing of a Sacred Deer, because, I don't know, Burge, I don't know how you felt about it, but we all really enjoyed it. I, the three of us have it. documented our thoughts on this movie. I yes. love The yes. Killing of a Sacred Deer. It did not make my top 17. It is part of Monster. my <laughs> It is part of my mythical top 25 that I created and then yes. had to get, eight, get rid of eight. Right. I think it was in my top 20. And it, I ended up having to scrape it off just because I had some other smaller films that I really wanted to pay credit to. For sure. So Lanthimos, uh, for American audiences, because I have not seen Dog his Tooth. earlier work, like Dogtooth and beforehand. So I'm only two deep, two films in deep Same. to his body of work. Yep. But I think from here on out, every time he puts out a film, I'm just going to dig it. it. Like, I'm into it. He has sold me already. And it's because his films are bizarre. Yes. His films are, yeah, completely absurd. They follow a different law than what we're used to, which is very refreshing. His films, the crispness of how his films are shot is impeccable. The characters he creates to live in this world are amazing. Uh, the way people speak, the way sound is used, the way these characters embody things that we can relate to, but not quite. Mm-hmm. It's just so beautifully done and beautifully well-crafted that I think anytime he puts a film out, I'm definitely going to give it a huge shot. And every time so far, he's succeeded in meeting my expectations and exceeded them for what I expect from his body of work so yeah. far. And yeah, we all really dug it, I think. <laughs> I think we loved. I think we loved talking about it. about it. You know, when yeah. we did our yeah. our episode of hot takes, we, you know, were just overjoyed to dissect the movie like a cadaver. Like we were like, let's find out what answers. killed this dude. <laughs> <laughs> it was. We loved it. It was great. It's the kind right. of thing that I think mid watching it, you're just kind of like awe stricken by what's going on, and just the way I felt by the end of that movie, I was just like, I don't even know. What the fuck? Really, what this movie is saying, or how it's... And then, like, we sat down and talked Hashed about it for an hour it. and a half, and yeah. we really unpacked, unpacked it. Unpacked what? Unpacked and it like a box of onions. <laughs> wow. Nice. Um, yeah, and by the end of that, I was just like, everything that's going on in this movie is so rich. Yeah. And the world that, that Yorgos Lanthimos creates is so unique to his style said it before, but he is the anti-Wes Anderson, the yes. way that he writes yes. and directs dialogue. His his tools of ambiguity and interpretation are so strong in his movies where I think he does have an interpretation of what he's putting on screen, but he is very um, generous by letting us, letting the audience kind of unpack it themselves and dive into it. 
so I had a conversation with Heath, uh, who is my fiance, my, my life partner, my significant other, whatever. And handsome. <laughs> he is handsome. Got that. He is a handsome gent. I had a I conversation like with him and someone else. We were talking about uh, the lobster recently. And come to find out, Heath and I have different takes on the lobster, which we talked about it at length. So when are you going to break up with him? <laughs> so I'm over. ditching him right now. Yeah, I'm going to announce it on the podcast. Ooh, he's available? <laughs> Finally. Bye, guys. See you. But yeah, and I think that just speaks to the body of work that he puts out. Because I was like, I thought we were on the same page here. You, you monster. Because we were describing the film to someone without giving away spoilers. And come to find out, Heath was like, no, I think you're wrong on that. And I'm like, no, what are you talking what? about? And he didn't see The Killing of a Sacred Deer yet, but now I'm very curious. Like, no, you have to watch this Killing film. Killing of the Sacred Deer is very much, a, it feels like an extension of The Lobster. It's funny yes. because I had seen The Lobster and then I watched Killing of the Sacred Deer. I went through actually the same thing that I did with Mother. I watched Killing of the Sacred Deer <laughs> with you guys and then the next week saw all of my coworkers. Oh, so they hated you. Just firmly more like you're the fucking weird black sheep of this, of this, this work yeah. group. Like, you, you're not allowed to You're the one with anymore. taste. Well, you know, that's you're subjective. Weirdo. But, I'll, be, I'll be the dick about it. You can be nice. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, thank you. You're, you're welcome. Yeah, I appreciate it. He has that. to work with those people. Um, you can just yeah, say whatever you want. Yeah, <laughs> they'll, they'll hopefully listen. Uh, they, they can, tell, actually, a lot of them do listen to the podcast. It's I went to Jack's work party and I felt like it was almost like uh, the story screens like meet and greet because there's people <laughs> being like, like, oh, uh, you you do the podcast with Jack. It's so nice to meet you. I'm wearing a blazer and a tie. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, so yeah. I do. But when you yeah. call them out directly, you find out who actually listens or who is lying. Yeah. So, what's your favorite episode? Uh, uh, the one, oh, yeah, the one we talk about movies. I think so, there was someone who's just like, I liked you on the Wonder Woman podcast. I was like, that is not me. <laughs> so it means it's, it's you. It means next year you can come to the work party. Um, but uh-huh. when you go back and watch. The Lobster after seeing Killing of the Sacred Deer a couple of times. The Lobster, which was a movie I thought was like bleak and dark and <laughs> some really fucked up shit. Man. It's like, nope, that movie actually is playful and fun. It's and a like, walk through dandelions. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's crazy. This movie's, I mean, it's all about like, uh, I think in my top 10 article, and I think this was at number four, um, I think one of the sentences I used was, it prods out an open wound of a question you never wanted to answer. Wow. And that's kind of like the heart of the movie where it's just like, what if you had to do this thing? What if you had to do this thing? Like, what do you choose? And, you know, the whole movie's about surgically dissecting that question and making a choice. Mm-hmm. And when do you fold? Like, Yeah, when do you give in to when the is your prophecy kind of... that far up against the wall? Yeah. Do you give in? And then uh, also our favorite uh, term, the spaghetti scene. Yes. Came from this movie. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, that actor did not get nominated for. Which oh. is a fucking crime. Whatever. Agreed. I, yeah. They, I, mean, I mean, at least the at least the lobster got one nom last year. But even then, I was just like, you guys can't fucking throw a bone to these guys. So can't. Right. Whatever. It's a crazy year, man. Mm. Yeah, That's that was bizarre. Because he was also in Dunkirk, which is like Oscar yeah. Darling. And he's great in that, too. Because I, yeah. I feel like you get introduced to... Uh, what is his name? Um, Martin. Oh, man. Martin. Martin. Barry. Something with a... No, well, his character's name is Martin. His character's yeah. name is Martin. Uh, but his name is Barry? Let's see Oh, what, the actor? The actor. Um, Barry Keegan. Barry Keegan. Yeah. Yes. Nice. Um, you get introduced to him in, in Dunkirk, and he's not given a ton to do. Yeah. 
um, in Dunkirk, and then you see him in Killing of the Sacred Deer, and he just fucking runs away with the role. He's the villain right. of the movie. Yeah, like he, it, that's a good way to. He runs with that. Yeah. <laughs> there was stuff on paper, and he was like. I can do a little bit more than that. Yeah, yeah he's yeah, he really he's does. interprets why I think that character is, and it's it's almost as if terrifying. he never wants to date anyone ever again. That's what <laughs> he's doing in the movie. He's like, oh, yeah, I want to be like the creepiest little fuck you've ever well, he's, seen. He's like the embodiment of a legendary curse. Like that's like what his <clears> character <throat> is. Man, yeah. you're right. It really is a crime that he didn't get nominated. Dude, for that. he's no, he like so that. Good. He really dives himself. I mean, we'll see. He, we've I've only seen him in two things. So let's see if like the next movie he comes out with, he's like super fucking creepy and eating spaghetti. We'll be like, oh, that's his thing. He's okay. He's a spaghetti kid. Well, Jack, he's so good at eating spaghetti. I think. <laughs> well, I don't know if he's good. At it. He kind of is like a slob. He's got a certain way to do it. <laughs> yeah, Jack. That's uh, I saw the inverse. So I saw Killing of a Sacred Deer first, uh-huh. and then I saw Dunkirk. And Barry Keegan was so good in Killing of a Sacred Deer that when he was in Dunkirk, I was like. I don't know if I can trust him. I'm so happy I he's saw that in reverse. <laughs> I, wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have been able he's to focus in Dunkirk. I mean, to be honest, all those no one in Dunkirk has anything to do. So it's, <laughs> yeah. you know. They're all very much in Dunkirk. Mike is they're glaring at me. Oh, no, that's fine. That's a, <laughs> they're all trapped. That's the problem. All I, lo- I, 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 love, I love Dunkirk. Dunkirk's cool. We're not going to talk I, about Dunkirk on this podcast. I think it's, it's one of the most timeless movies of the year. It's fucking great. Chris Nolan does not care about people like human beings. Absolutely not. That's why I love him as a director. <laughs> nope. That's why we were able to get really good Batman movies out of him. Have either of the you Batman guys so uh, seen any of the Batmans? Uh, uh, I've seen a couple. couple I've, seen a, I've seen a few. I really got to see the rest, though. Well, yeah. you guys didn't ask me at all about Batmans. Whoa. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Have you, have you seen the Batmans? I've seen all of them. <gasps> Girls don't watch Batman. <laughs> well, we were on the impression that you were a girl. Yeah. yeah. I am a girl, but I also watch Batman. Do you, you want to go back in time and replace me on all the Batman podcasts? <laughs> have you listened to anything? It's like no, we're pulling Jack's teeth. We probably could have done that around BVS and been like, all right, Jack, we get it. You're not into it. Let's you don't get like it. this anymore. I will say, I haven't seen the Ben Affleck Batmans. Those are the Batmans. Yeah, it would have been in the same. I've seen all of the other Batmans. Let me tell you, that's where it goes south. We are definitely unanimously agreed. Let's move on out from Killing a Sacred Deer. Thank you, Killing a Everybody got that one good? You were great. Loved it. Very good movie. See you Uh, later. And uh, Jack, you're up next. You wanted to talk about a little... uh a little S. Craig Zeller joint. A little brawl in Cell Block 99. This was another one that just did not... This was the last one to get knocked off my list, actually in service of... uh, Dunkirk. Ah, good. Mm-hmm. Well, you made the wrong choice. Yes. But, um, <laughs> I'm still gripping. I'm, I'm grappling with that every day. I think I, 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 I don't know. will lay awake into okay. bed I, staring I at the you. ceiling. Mm-hmm. I don't blame you. Um, yeah, so Brawl. Okay, so Craig S. Zoller um, is quickly becoming one of my favorite directors because his movie last year, Wishy-Washy, whether or not it came out 2016 or 2015. You got it. It's, it's fine. fine. Um, Bone Tomahawk. Mm-hmm. Um, was a expert fusion of horror and western films, and his new film *Brawl in Cell Block 99* is another genre mashup. It's it's a mashup of a crime thriller and a grindhouse action movie, um, smashed together, um, all centered around Vince Vaughn's um lead performance, and it's just. This, for the same reasons that Bone Tomahawk is excellent, it is 
expertly written and expertly acted and the, the dialogue is very particular and very uh, methodical and every word that each character says is, is really you can tell there's care and consideration to every word that Vince Vaughn says and Vince Vaughn so perfectly portrays this really menacing lead character who at heart is really just a family man who cares about his family cares about his wife and his unborn child and is willing to go to any length possible to protect them. And he does that by getting back into um, a previous life that he had left behind, being a um, drug runner. And that kind of goes off the rails. And it is just so weirdly nuanced in the way that uh Craig Asaller has has been able to portray with his he's, his like he is he is a writer and director on this film and he's, he's the same writer and director on Bone Tomahawk right. and he's just he's carving out his own style in such a unique way and so much of Bone Tomahawk is just really entertaining from a character level entertaining from a, a director level and then also startling in a violence kind of level. It's, he I, does violence like no one else. I, I watched it super late <clears throat> at night when I was uh, catching up on 2017 films, and I think it was the third film of the night that I watched. I stayed up till like 5 o'clock in the morning. Busting, that's what I do, <laughs> that's That is good, what you do. Honestly, that's it a may, good movie to watch. May. That's a good movie to start watching at and, three, five, 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning. Uh, yeah. S. Craig Zoller. Oh, sorry. You no, know, it's fine. Uh, is... He... You could have corrected me the first it's, time. It's uh no 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 I didn't I, I didn't want to you were talking like really good shit about the movie. I didn't I didn't want to You're saying all your good shit. Yeah, yeah you're saying all that good shit. You were unpacking the box of onions. I didn't wanna I didn't want to start smacking the onions out of hand and be like, you're mixing up where the S is. Um Brawl and Cell Block 99 and Bone Tomahawk. I am so excited for what this guy is gonna be doing for the next 25 years of movies that I'm going to be watching. He is one of the most stylistically original directors and writers. Like he, he made the song in this. Um, It's like Buddy's Day or something like his name's Buddy. He made it with a funk band, which I can't remember their name right now. It's like the OJs, I think it was, or something like that. Uh, They play it in the credits. And they play it in the credits. And they, they made the song specifically for this movie. And yet it just sounds like a straight up 70s funk song. And it's, this, there's nothing wrong with this movie. Vince Vaughn's performance in it is out of control because the guy is like, what, like six foot five? And show it on the poster, it's like the six The guy is gigantic. Yeah, and it's, uh, you were talking about, he's a family man and he's just trying to do right by his family. And at the end of the day, what Brawl and Cell Block 99 is about, you take away the grindhouse you take away the crime thriller. You take away uh, the prison aesthetics and all of this different stuff that really make it a solid movie. You take that all away, and at the end of the day, it's a really captivating story about a bad dude who's a good guy. Yeah. And he's a really good guy. He's the nicest guy you could ever hope to meet. But fortune has given well, him... This body, this beast of a thing, and he's got a little bit of a temper because they always say that the biggest dudes, no matter how nice they are, no matter how much they don't mess around with anybody, everybody always wants to fight them because they're big. And 
I always think of that now when I, because, and I've seen that happen with a lot of friends of mine who are some of the the tallest, most like, like, just like specimen looking people. And they're the nicest guys in the world. And they're like, people try to fight me all the time. Drunk, drunk people, drunk guys try to fight me all the time because they're like, you're the big one in the room. If I can take you down. Find the biggest motherfucker in the room and knock his ass out. Yeah, it's, yeah. yeah, and it's and I feel like that kind of transcends into this character. It's a little bit. Who's more also than got that. a what's a Dexter Jen, Jennifer Carpenter? Jennifer Carpenter. Is Dexter's sister yes. is in that, and she's fantastic. I always really half liked hour her. Of the movie, and she's in that part of it. So I won't speak to it because I don't know the whole movie. But you should go back and finish. I, I don't know I, why I, he stopped. <laughs> I'm like, how very, how could you stop that movie? It was very movie? late and I was very sleepy. And this I was is, like, it's, I think in the I watched this movie at 3.30 in the morning. The you have, the, the, we have different sleep sets. The fine. grindhouse <laughs> nature of this movie makes it very well suited to watch very late at night. Yeah. Because yeah. I also, I also watched it so late at night the first time that I fell asleep halfway through and then I, the next morning I woke up and finished, finished the rest it. of it. Uh, I don't know how you didn't just immediately finish Well, it, but I, that's fine. She's really, I wanted to say, like, she's amazing in, like, the scenes I saw her in, and I... She's could, very, she's very vulnerable. And there's just great. a, there's a rawness even yes. to that first half hour, and I was, I was definitely very intrigued, but... God, I, I love that movie. It should have been on my he, list. Yeah, I'm so sorry. Yeah. I know, I You're know. There's, I'm not, I didn't say anything about Killing of a Sacred Deer because I feel bad. Yeah. About it, yeah. like I feel should, bad. I'm, like, I'm so sorry. I don't deserve to get to you talk. You have seventeen. <laughs> Leave me alone. You gave it to I feel bad already. I said I feel bad. Vince Vaughn. Vince Vaughn really is the anchor of this movie. He's the the lead character, and his his character is so interesting because he is he's this very polite Southern gentleman, and the way that he speaks to everyone is in this like. Very particular methodical way of speaking. He's very got that. Way of the dialogue in this movie is great. He's got that Perfect. one line when he says, "If you put me in prison, I'm going to be around a bunch of guys that I don't like too much." Yeah. And he's like, "That's what's going to happen when you put me in prison." They're like, "Fine." It's more or less like that. I'm kind of. I'm. I'm not. I'm not Vince Vaughn, and I did not memorize the line. <laughs> right. so. he, he, that is his job. But there is. is, and they show this very early on in the movie. He has this seething rage. That he's aware of, mm-hmm. and he's in control. He's of. in control of it. He know it, he's. It's a weapon that he has. But it's there. Mm-hmm. He goes full Street Fighter and well, like, God, this the movie shit is so out of a cool. car. In yeah, the, first the half car hour scene of is wild. And it's so good to to instill like he means well. He is in control of his rage. He is aware of his rage, and he wants. He doesn't want to hurt anyone, and he knows. That this rage is near superhuman, and that he he is is very particular about the way that he controls it, and then it points that rage at fleshy human bodies. And <laughs> oh yeah, what he does to are, the car in the beginning of the movie, he does he does that to bodies. a group of people. Yeah. I don't don't later say on. No, it's say a, no it's more. Pretty great. Say no more. Uh, yeah. I hope Vince Vaughn keeps getting work that just like elevates his career. He's really he's trying to break out of that box, and actor. you see him in he's things so where he phenomenal. can really take it out. Like this is this shows you if you give Vince Vaughn something that has very good dialogue and is stylistically appropriate to his size and his look and something that he understands not like True Detective Season 2. Did you like my True Detective Season 2 reference and pull that up? I did. You did. I mean, I I didn't hate True Detective Season (laughs) 2. Thank you. It it wasn't great. Your good friend (laughs) 
You've got a great personality. Thank you. Don't don't start don't start this burn. I I shouldn't. But once you yeah. get it, once you get Wait, it, what? I liked him in True Detective season two. I liked him. He's oh, no. fine in True Detective <laughs> season two. He's fine in True Exactly. I was being nice to them. He's great in True Detective season no, two. No, he's fine. No, fuck you both. No, no, no. He's, he's great. In, fine. He's fine. He's fine. He, there you go. He's Sorry, fine I'm in True Detective season two. He's supposed to be a bumbling idiot. Sit down. Sit down. He's supposed to be. <laughs> For what it is, he did what he could with that writing. Absolutely. And then took it up. Mm-hmm. And I hope I'm, he continues to do so. In I'm his really happy that following the breakdown of how normal people look at True Detective Season 2, <laughs> I'm very happy that he was able to get another chance at a springboard like Brawl and Cell right. Block 99 right. to show everybody, like, I want to do this and I can do it. You, you just right. got to give me a shot. Yeah, and you just have to write a script that is actually good. Yeah. Right. Right. That's right. That's right. Uh, we're gonna take a break to watch uh, True Detective season two. You're just gonna stop and be like, "We're gonna watch it. We're gonna watch the whole thing right now." Wouldn't be the first time. No. One day you guys are going to fall asleep in your own beds, but you're gonna wake up in my basement. Whoa! And there's gonna be a screen and some projectors. That's, a, that's an episode. And, and some fine want. mixed cocktails. I'm gonna treat you guys very nice. I'll get you all your favorite flavors of Doritos. And we will... Do you hear they came out with a new one called Blaze? I don't care. I saw purple that. All right. Really okay. <laughs> uh, the moving on. Moving on from Brawl. You, you good on Brawl? I'm good. I mean, I can't... That's another one just like a ghost story. I can't recommend it enough. Like, it's really fun. And cool. I don't even think it got a theatrical release. No, it didn't. It was just all digital, Which right? is a shame. It was very limited. I think it played in New York and L.A. very briefly. And then it was pretty much dropped... Right on uh, download stuff. Yeah, but I it. think I rent it on YouTube for four ninety nine. It's yeah, on Amazon Prime for also like the same price. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so next up, we are going to be talking about our final film before we get to uh, the big one of the year. Uh, and it, it, it me, it on me. Uh, I wanted to talk about uh, a movie that I really thought was going to be my favorite movie of the year, but then lo and behold, mm. uh, uh, Colossal came out. And I loved Colossal, and Call Me By Your Name came out, and Call Me By Your Name just made me fall in love with it in a way that I'm never going to forget for years. And then our number one movie came out, and that just knocked us one out. It's crazy we haven't talked about that tangentially yet. (laughs) I really want to talk about Edgar Wright's Baby Driver. Woo! Phenomenal. Fantastic. Photogenic. Exhilarating. It is a hell of a movie. Again... Another fantastic cast. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vince Vaughn is fantastic in it, just as much as he was in Trinitation. He, he does his best John Hamm. Yeah, he's very good. He looks exactly like John Hamm. Andy Serkis as the red car was also fantastic. Andy Serkis is really pumping out some great work. He played all three red cars. He's crazy. He's been in every movie And this year. unfortunately, Christopher Plummer was not available to replace the role of oh. disgraced as fuck Kevin Spacey, as I like to call him. Uh, and, but it's actually, I was talking to Diana about it, and I think I even mentioned it in my write-up on Baby Driver from my top list, that even the presence of Kevin Spacey in a movie that was released in the year mere months before, mere months, few months before, it was revealed how much of a little slimeball dickweed he is. It took me out a little bit. I, I don't think that it does, because I Cause think Because I saw that, it after that. I think it has a weird Because you saw it after. I think I it that after. It, it still maintains... The energy of this movie cannot be taken down by anything. 
It can't no. stop, won't stop. And Kevin Spacey is there. And look, at the end of the day, he's still a fucking great actor. He is a really and everything actor. that he was in before, I don't want, like, I don't want to lose Seven. I don't want to lose right. American Beauty. I agree. And yeah. American Beauty is just lost. I tried to watch it a couple weeks ago. It's fucking lost. Because, yeah. because, because she's like 17 yeah. and it's yeah. like this weird thing. Like, it's it's Well, he gone. was also trying to, like, deny the... The homosexual nature of the neighbor. Yeah, there's all of this stuff of that's like you can't help but think about it now, and it completely ruins it. It's kind of like what we were talking about with these, the divisive nature of seeing movies that have this divisive angle to them. Like the Last Jedi will always have that on it, at least for the next ten years. You know, Empire Strikes Back was divisive when it came out too, but nobody talks about that anymore. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. People mm-hmm. didn't like a movie. It's, no, they thought it was too out. much like the original. It's interesting. <laughs> It's interesting. Probably's gonna lose his mind. They were mad that there was a black guy in it. Kevin Spacey, the only one in the galaxy. Kevin Spacey throughout his career has been very, very good at playing slime balls. Yeah, it's almost and like he had a lot of practice. Oh, maybe he isn't a good actor. Actual <laughs> slime ball. Yeah. So, I mean, his performances are often. Very I mean, good, like but maybe American his... Beauty is not a slime ball. Mm, oh! Yeah, he is. <laughs> no, he, he stops. He, he stops. Lo- but, spoiler alerts for American Beauty. He spends the whole movie working out so he can fuck a 17 year old. Right, and as soon as he gets into the situation, it's a fantasy. And as soon as he's about to realize the fantasy, he goes, she's a person. What am I doing? No, not at all. I okay, defend well, him 100. He is not... His character. Right. It, his character. In the movie. <laughs> Kevin Spacey is a little Worth piece noted. of shit. And yes. I'd fight him if I bumped into him. And I don't even like to fight people besides you, Jack. Yeah, I know. It's because I, like, I like your personality. Good sparring partner. You guys do with the brother. words. Um, so. Well, the fir- one of the first lines that Kevin Spacey says in Baby Driver is... Thank you, now- Brandon, for saying Baby Driver. Yeah. <laughs> now, you know I take no pleasure in taking candy from a baby. Taking candy from baby. We've talked about this. Oh, no, we had a bet on it. We didn't look it up yet. No, it's taking candy from baby. Ah, I think it's maybe it's, a baby. It's Tonya. Oh, no. Let's not get started on that. I'm sorry. I'm not getting started on that. Oh, no, wait. Wait, Bernadette. We'll make it official right now. You say taking candy from a baby. I say taking candy from baby. Uh, Movie ticket. Whoever wins. You said $10, but we'll do whatever. 10 bucks. 10 bucks. I know. Don't. (laughs) Come on. What are you blowing up my spot? Because it's a bad bet. That's fine. It's rude. We just haven't looked it up yet. I will gladly give you $10 if that is correct. All right. I'll buy it and we'll check it out. About Baby Driver. Uh, color palette is out of control. Absolutely. John Hamm, the lit as scene. fuck. One of the best Jamie Foxx performances we've gotten in Hell years. Hell yeah. Right. Except for Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man 2, when he's Electro. Uh-huh. Hoo-wee, he's so good in that isn't, movie. D- isn't he mad in that because Spider-Man didn't remember his birthday or that's, something? That's the entire inciting incident for his oh, character. Great. And then he gets, ele- then he gets electrode. There's, I need there, One day I'll do an expose about the pain it put in me to write that Spider-Man article. Having to watch some of them Spider-Mans. Baby Driver has an amazing <laughs> soundtrack as well. Yeah, uh, it's phenomenal. I mean, Edgar Wright has a great has great taste in music, an eclectic taste as well. Like yeah. he doesn't really just kind of sit to like the indie rock or the hip hop. He's into absolutely no, everything. He's got an amazing uh, collection of movies that all feature great, great needle songs. drops. Yeah. Uh, Shaun of the Dead. Specifically, had like them ta- doing Queen in that is like yes. one of the best. Can't stop me now. But even on the someone like, kill the Queen. <laughs> seven. What? what? The music. The jukebox. <laughs> the second uh, page of like his screenplay was imploring the I people who today. read it 
to put in the headphones and listen to the music that I told you to listen to as you're reading the scene. Because mm-hmm. the whole thing is prompted by music, which makes it amazing. I mean, the, the, whole, the whole use of diegetic music yeah. in the movie is, is like... Diegetic it's... music? What's that? Check out Mike uh, Burge's article on it, because it's uh, very, very good. music that is represented in the actual fiction of the film. Correct. Oh, like the characters can hear the same music that the audience is hearing as well at the same well, time? a character in this case. Hmm. Baby. Interesting. Hmm. Baby. He's listening to music the whole time. The, hmm. the movie has a pacing to it that is just lightning fast. But then there are, there are really big touchstones uh, and moments of softness and like and moments to sit in and, and, and feel things and feel slowness. And in those moments, it's not like there's no music. The music just changes. Mm-hmm. And it's... It, it's I, I it's such an incredible movie and like Edgar Wright really he's going one hundred ten percent in it and it, it, it it's just a joy to watch. I got my little brother, Baby Driver. So he's my he's my baby. Your <laughs> sexy little brother. He's not as, he's oh, not well, he's not as Stop sexy that. as it. he's not as sexy as Jeremy. you're never meeting my little brother. So, <laughs> is he sexy? Wait, <laughs> I didn't even know you had one. No, don't let Mike sexualize your little. Brother. I collect sexy. This is about Kevin Spacey. Kill this bit. It's I over. disagree. Uh, it's over. So, Ray is one of my favorite directors. Hot mm-hmm. Fuzz is probably my favorite movie of all time. I agree. I love Hot Fuzz. Oh, favorite movie of all time. One of my favorite. It's probably no, top no, no. three. I, I was like, it's my favorite Edgar Wright movie. Hot Fuzz. Mm-hmm. No, hot, no, Hot Fuzz is probably one of my favorite movies of all time. Like mm. up there. I love that world's end. I also like Shaun of the Dead. Those I also like, like, like Scott Pilgrim. I, I can't also like Scott Pilgrim. Pilgrim. But and we'll, we'll. This is a movie about our favorite, or this is a podcast about <laughs> our favorite movies of the year. Baby Driver. I loved. Very much the first time I saw it. But it disappointed me a second time. It disappointed me a little bit the second time I went to go see it. Because one of the things I love so much about Edgar Wright's movies is that, especially Hot Fuzz, Shaun of the Dead, so much of the comedy in it is so... The jokes, the bits in there are so subtle often that you miss them mm-hmm. and his movies are very rewarding to go back and watch time and time again i've seen hot fuzz a lot if not a dozen times and maybe you more. still like notice things and i'm when you not i'm not it. the kind of person that goes back and rewatches movies but i've seen hot fuzz like at least a dozen times and every time i go see it i notice a joke mm-hmm. that i've never seen before I don't and I think that that's like Baby, Baby Driver. Driver. No, and you're absolutely right. That's not it's that's not what Baby Driver's doing because Edgar Wright is is growing as it's a very, filmmaker. It's very and he's he's doing something movie. else. Yeah, it he's yeah. that I think there's a very specific reason why he uh why he titled the movie Shaun of the Dead, uh Hot Fuzz and at, at World's World End, Ends. the Cornetto trilogy, because he was like, This was something that I wanted to do. Yeah. Because all of those movies are stylistically similar in the style that we have come to attribute with Edgar Wright. I think that Baby Driver... This movie is way more Scott Pilgrim Yeah. Oh, that's than, exactly what I was than say. those three yeah, movies. And sure. that's because he's got something that he really wants to... He's got an editing... A way of editing and a way of shooting a movie that is constantly evolving because he is also, again, a a an artist that is changing with the times, with technical times and with... Uh, what he can do, he's making more U.S. films now, and I think that Baby Driver is just a natural 
graduation, any like a next a, a next level, a next step, right? Uh, going towards like who is go a man who is destined to become one of the greatest directors of all time. He's still in the beginning. I know he's been around now for almost fifteen years mm-hmm. since Shaun of the Dead showed up, or even if you want to count Spaced. Spaced, he's been around for two decades. Right. And I really do, and, but he started space when he was like in his early twenties. Like this yeah. guy is only in his forties, and he is kicking ass. And mm-hmm. I honestly feel like over the next ten years, we're gonna see Edgar Wright do some shit that's really gonna get nominated. Yeah, uh, for and, some great stuff. I'm gonna get him some real prestige. But I, I absolutely one hundred percent agree with I you. I think Baby Driver is a fantastic film. I think it's expertly executed. I think everything about it is fantastic. However, I was slightly disappointed in the f- when I realized that I don't think for me this is going to be as timeless mm-hmm. as his previous work. I mean, you can't top that Cornetto trilogy. Like that's it. It's okay. so good. Even even its worst part, in my opinion, at World's End, and there's nothing wrong with At World's End. It's right. the least enjoyable of in my yeah. opinion. I know people For me it's Hot Fuzz, Shaun of the Dead, At World's End. If you yeah. had to rank him. Uh, mine like is I've like, it's constantly it switching between yeah. Sean and Dead and the Hot Fuzz because me and Sean on the Dead, that's a good buddy of mine. We have spent a lot of time together. Yeah. I think Hot Fuzz is the superior movie because there's a lot there's a lot more balls in the juggling act going yeah, on and he's sure. able to pull it off with flying colors. But At World's End, just like, it, it, it's really hard for At World's End when it's being compared to two masterpieces. I think, um, sure, sure. I, think I was never like super... Uh, I I love all those movies, but I've never been like super attached to them. Maybe the way that other people have, or you guys. Mm-hmm. But out out world at world's end um, reminds me of a very personal story I have with a friend of mine. True, right? And that's why I and like, that's, link to it so hard. That's you know? a, I love it. I love a, that's that a great reason for that yeah. too. Because I I also I have a friend like that yeah. as well that that I really connected on that when I saw that mm-hmm. movie. And it's just, I think that it's uh, going back to what Jack was saying. I think that there's less of those little tiny things in the background that make it so rewatchable. I've yeah. wa- I mean, don't get me wrong. Baby at Driver, World's End is my no, no, no. At World's End, oh, yeah. World's End. and At World's End. I think the end of that movie changes the whole is my, movie. It, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And you get to rewatch it again. Right. At World's End is my least favorite of those three. I've still watched that movie five times since it came yeah, out. Like, oh, sure. Yeah, like I love that movie. Yeah. Well. I, I hate to be this person, but I definitely love the music video for this song called The Blue Video, Blue Song, mm-hmm. by Mint Royale, which was kind of like Edgar Wright's test for what he wanted to do with Baby Driver. And Way I, back in the day, right? This was like 2001 or something? Yeah, like... it's got Noel Fielding in it from The Mighty Boosh. It's mm-hmm. like totally British. It's got Nick Frost in it too. And I think, Julian Jack, I sent, I sent you that video and you were like, is that the dude from the Mighty Boosh? Yeah, like, yes, and it, it is. is. Uh-huh. And I love that music video. I love the Cornetto trilogy. And I do love Scott Pilgrim, too. Don't get me wrong. I love Scott Pilgrim. Mm-hmm. But I would have been interested to have seen how Baby Driver would have gone down without, like, American backing. Yeah. Like, to see this film done in England, I think it might have, like, spoke to me more. Because Edgar Wright is so fundamentally British to me. inherently British. That I feel like Baby Driver, while it was still great and I still enjoyed it and I still liked it, right. it was maybe a little lost in translation for me. I think I would have preferred to have seen it in the That's British That's really interesting scope. because there, it, there is this... Yeah. It's like I Black love Mirror. Scott Pilgrim. It's like seeing Black Mirror episodes that are American. American. Yeah, that Scott, is super weird yeah. now. Scott Pilgrim I love. It's really weird American. though because Baby Driver but has... This, baby Driver has a... Put it over there. Uh, a, a very small like... 
old school American lifestyle it subplot does. to it. It does. That for sure. was, I mean, like, let's be frank here. It was probably originally conceived in his head to be shot in England. Right. And now I have never even considered that. That's really interesting because now I think about it, all of the characters, like Jamie Foxx and John Hamm, and like, uh, um, what are their names? Like, uh, Oof. Um, Buddy and the girl. What's the girl's name? Buddy uh, is Buddy, John Hamm. Bats. Buddy, no, Buddy. I know, Bats I know Bats, Bats that I'm okay. trying to think. Buddy and uh, Darling. 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 Uh, Darling. Buddy and Darling and Bats. And even um, Doc, Kevin Spacey's character, are very uh, British characters in, mm-hmm. in the archetype way. Mm-hmm. And now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, the whole idea of like the waitress and like falling in love with like this kind of rebel that's not necessarily an american aspect that can be transfused anywhere but the way they do it and that's super interesting i, I never know. i have to watch it again now i think that's I, really cool my hope is that as edgar wright progresses as a director and as as he gets bigger and bigger movies I hope he does not forget his British roots and yeah. he does not do strictly I he, American movies. I don't think, I don't think he will. will. I don't think he will. I, I, I honestly think the next thing he goes he to is going to be a little bit more better. comedy. Maybe. I think that Bernadette's I think question, he was Ant-Man feeling a little bad off that and maybe. he did this. But I think that yeah. Bernadette's question is, is definitely super interesting and it gives you a lot to think about, you know, kind of the concept of origin where someone from the UK can, like, where they should put their stories or what they're commenting on. But I think Baby Driver is a very holy American movie. Um, I think that, you know, uh, a heist movie about gangsters and getting money makes sense to have in America. Absolutely. I think that's a very, like, well, American absolutely. crime. There's also, like, think about, like, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Sure, but and that's, stuff. this like, isn't like that That movie, is, like, the end-all, be-all. Like, British a bunch of dumbasses movie. trying to rob a bank. But these aren't a bunch of dumbasses. There's, like, an, a very eclectic group of intelligence right, right, right. here, you mm-hmm. know? And I think... Um, the I, I don't know. I, I think the movie feels at, like fast cars get money. Be gangsters feels so wholly American to me, especially in the crime world of cinema. Mm-hmm. When you really think about it, so I think that this movie feels right at home uh, being an American setting. Right. And I'm, I'm wondering what was changed though. Like that's, that's definitely an uh, interesting like, question. And you know? mainly like yeah. the love story between um, Baby and uh, my God, Deborah. Debra, thank nice. you. Debra is nice. like a zebra. Thank you. Appreciate it. I listen to the, the soundtrack love between a that lot. Is, I have that. So, I have you have that it on vinyl? On one eighty. I need it. LP. I go to Dark Side all the time. I'm just like, where is it? It's, <laughs> del- it's delicious. It's um, in La La Land there too. I think that, that their love story is very American and yeah, timely too. Sure. It, it, it really harkens back to those kind of James Dean kind of the stories diner that we wait- get. The yeah. diner waitress, the diner. That Absolutely. is a holy There's American. nothing more American about the road than yes. falling in love with a waitress at a diner. That's kind of right. what I'm saying. Like, and I totally agree with you with like Lock, Sock, Two Smoking Barrels. Like, yeah, that like there are gangsters in England for sure. Like, you can have a gangster movie over there. They're this cool. is not that movie. Gangsta. I do, I do agree that like this kind of palette of different characters from different elks and like Doc and like all these characters do feel kind of wholly British. But I like the kind of like character immigration to America and was, having it yeah, there. I was just saying that I think it would have maybe spoken to me personally. Yeah, so I didn't mean to derail your... Yeah. No, no, no. I'm not saying like, screw this, this is an American. Right. It's, it, it does feel very I think it's a very American, interesting but... question to posit and like like Mike said, I never thought about it. Yeah, that's crazy. Either. That's really cool, yeah. Y'all yeah. Seen this, I've seen this movie like three Y'all times. Y'all seen Rock and Roller? 
Yeah, uh, rock and roll is great. I don't think I have seen that. Love. Uh, I mean, Guy Ritchie, when Guy Ritchie is good, he's sticks good. to Guy Ritchie, he does, he does well. very well. See that when he usually movie. tries to go outside the box <laughs> and make like a Sherlock Holmes King movie, Arthur movie, and it's like he's that, that motherfucker never read no Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, anything else on Baby Driver, guys? No, we're good. All right, great. Uh, so, we've come to the end, my friends. Uh, we are going to now talk about one more film. Thank you so much, dear listener, for sticking through on this. I hope that you have, uh, agreed with every single thing that we have said. (laughs) It's been a long road. It's been a long road. Getting from there to here. That wild shit we were saying about Star Wars. I hope that it was okay that you guys were listening to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, now we're going to talk about a movie that is on all six of the head writing staff at StoryScreenBeacon.com. It's on all of our top ten lists. Uh, pretty much in the first spot. I think that, Bernadette, you uh, didn't organize yours in that way, but you also said that if you did, Blade Runner 2049 would probably be your number one. It was my number one. Mm-hmm. It was Jack's number one. It's uh, my Je- number It's two. your number two with the caveat that Star Wars The Last Jedi is your number one because you love talking about it. It's Star Wars and you got it. If Star Wars did not exist, Blade Runner 49 would be right there at the top. If we were in that terrible dystopia, yes. <laughs> yes. And same with Jeremy as well. Jeremy made um, Get Out his number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, because he is just a, an absolute lover of horror, and Get Out is an absolute treat to he's anybody also, who likes horror. He's so sexy, though. He's got a good personality. I'll give him that. Um, I'm dead. And but Blade Runner twenty four nine was also his number two. Like so, right. without that caveat of having a very great horror movie this year that just like breaks all the rules and is amazing. Mm-hmm. It would have been his number one as well. So we were talking about Blade Runner 2049, which I've said a couple of times before. It's not that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Blade Runner 2049. Guys, what a movie. <sighs> what a, like, it, like, Jack, Jack is, uh, Jack has his, his arms crossed and he's just <laughs> doing like the kind of shrug that like your, your friend that's not dancing with anybody at the eighth grade formal. And you're like, why don't you go dance with Kelly? She likes you. But like he's convinced Kelly doesn't like doesn't even know who he is. He's like, Meh, like, that, like no, we wouldn't even. It's more the like my arms are crossed and I'm shrugging because I'm like, what do I say about this perfect what movie? Can no. you say? Uh, looks great. The music is doesn't phenomenal. just look great. Every you know the, when you talk about like every scene or um, every frame a painting. Yes. Like Blade Runner twenty nine is the definition of every frame a painting and the lighting and the colors and the composition of every shot of this movie is jaw-dropping blade runner 2049 is a really good way to show people what all those technical awards are for at the oscars what's the difference between sound mixing and sound editing what's cinematography like what does that do like what, what what exactly is that um and blade runner 2049 has all of these things expertly done in spades. Like, it is out of control. Roger Deakins, thankfully, has been nominated for Best Cinematography. This man has not won an Academy Award in his entire career. Fucking bullshit. This guy has done just about every Coen Brothers movie. This guy has done every movie. You look down his IMDb list and you're like, Jesus Christ, like everything. 
is phenomenal. And Blade Runner 2049 is his opus. It is I think so. everything that he has learned and created in his entire vastly uh, different career. Like prestigious. he doesn't, it's like, it's not even prestigious. Like it's, he mixes around with genres. Like Blade Runner 2049 is a like really hard sci-fi futuristic dystopia movie. Like that's how everything is shot. And he does things like No Country for Old Men or The Big Lebowski or Raising Arizona and stuff like that. It's like, this guy knows where to put a camera. Mm-hmm. And that's the first thing. I think that's a, the biggest thing that we all walk away from with 2049 is how beautiful it looks. Because how beautiful it looks lends to the acceptance of how long the movie is. If it wasn't that beautiful, it probably wouldn't, wouldn't have been as entertaining for the two hours and 40 plus Five, minutes yeah. that it is. But know? it also goes hand in hand of the, with the pacing of this movie. Because it is a slowly paced movie. Yeah. And it's a movie that takes its time and it dwells on each scene. But the reason I think the camera dwells and spends so long from scene to scene is because everything that you're seeing is so gorgeous mm-hmm. that you need the time to sit and just soak it in. It'd be a movie that would lose so much by trying to rush. And it's a it's a world that feels real. It's a, it is a world that feels real. That's an extension of this older film, a film that is not a blowy up shoot 'em up movie. It's a noir. It's a very quiet movie. It's a slow burn. And this movie is an extension of that idea. And the things that people remember a cult classic like Blade Runner for, this movie is the undeserved sequel that we got. Absolutely. And it's it's amazing. The whole the whole composition of it is like ten out of ten across the board. It's mm-hmm. insane that a movie almost twenty five years later is as good of a sequel as this one. And I think Supersedes the original. I think so too. Absolutely. In so Absolutely. many well, great no, ways. Over 30 years, man. Is it over 30 years? 30 years. 1982. Yeah. That's great. Like, this is uh, 35 years, man. And I, I listened to our Blade Runner 2049 Hot Takes plug uh, podcast uh, yesterday. And I was doing it on the ride home. Yeah. And I found myself driving around for an extra 20 minutes to finish it. Like, I got home, and I was like, well, I, I actually really like this right now. I'm just going to keep driving. Yeah. And the, the things that we talk about in it, specifically with the fact that it takes place, it, it was made 35 years after the original, is Harrison Ford's performance in this mm. is out of control. You can look at it and go, it's Harrison Ford phoning it in, making that paycheck from a movie that was super popular that he made 35 years ago. But it's the same thing with Han Solo in The Force Awakens. He shows up and you're like, is Harrison Ford just going to phone in? You're like, no, that's fucking Han Solo 30 years later. And Mm -hmm. this very much, there are echoes of Deckard, but he's not just pretending to be Deckard again. He's Mm -hmm. Deckard 35 years later from from the, the events of the first film. And... Denis Villeneuve is the most competent director in the world for this movie because he is restrained where he needs to be. He is exploratory where he needs to be. And he finds every advantage that he can and he takes advantage of it. And he looks at every single thing that he knows that he should not touch and he shouldn't dwell on for too long and just gives it just enough nod so that it's canon and that it's in there. Uh, 
we haven't even talked about Michael Green, who wrote the movie. He also wrote Logan. Yeah. And he mm-hmm. also wrote another surprise hit. Me and Robbie were just talking about Murder on the Orient Express. Yeah. That. So this mm-hmm. is a guy who's really good at adapting. He was also on uh, American, American Gods. Gods as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. So this is a guy that he Hollywood un- has found that's really good at he adapting understands, these stories. He's good at adapting stories. He, he also like really understands genre and how it can translate through multiple mediums. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not to be redundant and to talk about that, but I think that he... He's a master of his craft as a writer, but he also he understands trope and genre, and he knows you know how film, as opposed to where these stories maybe start in their mediums, what are the powers and the weapons of film that he can you know arm these movies mm-hmm. with. It's really funny, like Murder on the Orient Express. I can't imagine uh, picking a film that's more different than Murder on the Orient Express and something like Blade Runner twenty forty nine, but Logan is very similar to Blade Runner 2049 Absolutely. in the sense of like how it deals with its themes and what it's talking about in the larger scope of a blockbuster movie. And that's the biggest, I think, it's not the biggest, but one of the most impressive things about Blade Runner 2049, in my opinion, is that, again, we've said it all year. I think each of us said it at least once in our top list. Blade Runner... A sequel to Blade Runner 35 years later has no right to be no. as good as this movie is. It's not, it, it's, I said at the beginning of our hot takes, Blade Runner 2049 just might be one of the greatest sequels of all time. It is one of the greatest sequels of all time. Mm-hmm. And it is also one of the greatest films of all time because it is meticulous. Everybody involved in this movie is on their A game, and lucky for us, everybody involved in this movie is a goddamn pro and very talented and creative at what they're doing. It's amazing, too, because Blade Runner, the original Blade Runner, sets up a lot of themes about artificial intelligence and humanity and what it means to be human and what it means to be sentient um, and what it means to be self-aware. And Blade Runner 2049 takes those themes and progresses them to the next level because i think everyone really when it comes to an android that is able to that is has a a beating heart and a brain that gives it thought is ready to say like yeah an android like that probably is deserving of human life right it should have the same sort of values as a normal human but blade runner 2049 takes that theme and progresses it and further abstracts it to say, well, what is, how do you define what sentience is and what um, your own self-awareness is? And when you define programming versus um, is something programmed to feel and act a certain way or are things aligned against you to be a certain way? Um, is it the social programming or is it the biological programming? And it just – it has all these themes baked in that take – pick up the torch of the original Blade Runner and just carry it the next to the next level in such subtle ways and nuanced ways that it's – like you said, it's, it, it's crazy that a sequel to Blade Runner, which is such a cult classic film. 35 years later is able to so delicately progress that subject and those themes. It's, it's fantastic. And 
You go first. I was going to say, the original film already sets up the groundwork, definitely, for all of these themes to be further explored. And then to watch 2049 and kind of see that be continued, but also to have a lot of answers unanswered, right. a lot of questions unanswered, and to say, but is that the point to find, like, the end goal to that initial question? That's not the point. And to further explore those themes and show you these characters that have evolved, but how do they evolve and why do they evolve is so important, I think, in the contextualization of that story. Oh, my gosh. So and it's, well done. It's not that the movie is trying to deliver answers. It's only exploring these exactly. questions. Further. Yeah. That, right. And I think that that's what's that's important super part. important about it. The movie is not concerned with telling you who might be a replicant by mm-hmm. the end of it. The movie is not concerned well, with... I, it, it, well, in the, in the like Blade Runner context of yeah. whether or not Deckard is actually a replicant or not, I mean, that's like the ongoing debate that's mm-hmm. been surrounding Blade Runner since right. for 35 years, right? Yeah. It, it it does it, it goes further than that by saying okay K is a replicant mm. mm-hmm. okay it doesn't matter no no that doesn't matter no do not cut this we have to because that that's does a, that's not a matter. secret that everybody's been holding in and I actually deleted things from Bernadette's thing you're not supposed to know that going in if you haven't seen it it tells you in the first 30 seconds exactly and that's a very big reveal I, it's I'm not just, a big reveal okay fine if you want to keep it it's in, we'll not keep a it big in. reveal it because the point is that k is a replicant the point is it's showing it's the same point that they're making in ex machina mm-hmm. from 2 years ago we're it's not the point is not that we're abstracting this and you're supposed to decide whether this is real or is not real. The point is to show you that it's not real and let you decide whether or not it's just as deserving as something that is by definition, quote unquote, real. Mm-hmm. And it, then it further abstracts that with with the other characters in the film and the, the artificial intelligence characters in the film. You're writing down a number. I'm not going to let, I'm going to be so pissed off at you, Mike. If you no, no, I'm that. writing down a number because I referred to Bernadette as her. Instead okay. of Bernadette, okay. because I thought we were going to cut it, and I want to make sure that I cut that out, because it's disrespectful to do that on a podcast. Okay. Well, the, the point is that it it is, it's taking those themes and moving them further, because in, in 2017, some of those themes that were presented in the early 80s are no longer as open as a question. I think we've moved forward in a way, and I think Blade Runner is taking that those ideas and progressing those in smart ways and k being a replicant is not a reveal they're 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 showing you that and letting you as the audience decide that's a key point through of the, the story plot. that right. he is still yeah. replicant or not it's, he's I, still I, I was i was more and you're absolutely right in everything that you said like that is like totally a discussion that to have but i i was more getting at the point that that reveal in that opening scene where we learn that we we don't learn it in the first 30 seconds we learn it in the first 5 minutes but that is the first scene and the reveal that he is a replicant when me and you went in to go see the movie we assumed that that Absolutely. that was going on but we didn't know long before and that affirmative moment is very important because that is the moment that transcends all the way till the end of the movie where we are, when when Dave Bautista says the line, are 
you're just fine killing your own kind. We've just seen Ryan Gosling getting thrown through a wall. And now he's, we're like, Dave Bautista is gigantic. He's going to kill this guy. And all of a sudden, wee little La La Land Ryan Gosling is able to take out Dave Bautista, one of the top 10 baddest asses on the planet right now. And we go, what the fuck is this? And then Dave Bautista's character drops the line. So you're just fine running around cleaning up the shit for everybody and killing killing your own kind. And then he separates himself from him going, I'm not like you. And he's like, that's right. You follow orders. You're cool cleaning up the shit. That's a very important moment. And I just, it's absolutely fine. But I've always found, because I care about this movie so much, and because we differ on opinions on this, that doesn't mean that you care any less. It's that I've wanted to hide that because I think that's one of the first really cool reveals in the movie. And I've wanted to hide it. But that's absolutely fine. If people are listening to this podcast right now, I'd imagine that they probably have seen Blade Runner 2049 by now. And if they haven't, it's not a crazy reveal. But the idea of the the movie hinging upon Kay being a replicant. And it's very important. His journey of his programming being baked into the what he should do and behave and the context that society or his position in society lays upon him and the way that he acts around these preconceived notions and when he learns that these preconceived notions may not be what he thought originally, the way he changes is so important to the idea of to, yeah. of programming. And it's fucking devastating right like i said in my uh in my in my top list uh i'd never spoken it out loud before like because we did the hot takes and i think we were more just kind of traumatized by the moment that it all happened in uh and being able to watch it a couple more times i was able to articulate it and how i felt about it it's one of the most devastating character arcs of the year in a film in a year in a year sorry filled To the brim, overflowing with amazing characters and amazing character arcs. He has an arc in this movie that is, it makes you question everything you were considering throughout the whole movie, even as somebody who's already on board with backing him. Right. It really makes you question, wait, how do I feel? It makes you consider and contemplate instead of question. And that's a super powerful thing for for a blockbuster like sequel yeah. to a thirty five year old movie. It, it 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 has no right to do these things, and it's really a testament to the love and care that the people behind the camera and the people in front of the camera put into this. I, me and Bernadette were talking about the performances in it and how like we met, we we the three of us, uh, me myself, Jack and Robbie. When we did the hot takes, we talked about like this might get some some Oscar buzz, but we mentioned like probably not for the acting, even though a lot of it really does deserve it. Yeah, like, that's a shame. And it's a shame because yeah, like shame. Uh, uh, the character uh, love, the character of love is portrayed amazing. And joy. Yeah. And joy. And Bernadette, we were talking about like and yeah. joy is that is not an easy role to play. It's it's a thankless role. And joy's arc. Very much parallels Kay's arc. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because her arc is all about she is a artificial intelligence that is 
programmed to be exactly what the owner of that artificial intelligence wants to wants. be. But her experience shapes the way that she acts in the movie in such a way that is that experience that she has just because she's programmed to act a certain way within that experience is that experience inherently less valuable than any sort of other experience. I mean, the movie's strange because you're watching life by proxy. Right. You're watching life existing by these characters who maybe not be technically be alive. And it's begging this question of you. And in 2049, or in uh, the original Blade Runner, it's just the replicants who you're questioning the sentience, the, the being sentient, sentient of... The sentient... Yeah, the sentience. sentence of... <laughs> um, ah, but then, But then there's... there's the, another layer to the box of onions. Another box to the box of onions. <laughs> God damn. <laughs> so many onions. So many onions. Stop ordering these but, onions. Uh, and it's, and it's joy. And it's joy. Too. It's like, you know, the enslaved having the enslaved. It's like how deep of this rabbit hole, like how far in the future were things that we create just think do we just oppress? Like, how deep do we go? And to the point where it's like, yeah, we'll give you an apartment and a wife. Right. Like, it's, how it's, deep it's, are we going to go down this rabbit hole? It's, you, it's know? You, you, said an you said an interesting thing with the uh, watching a movie and having the characters be proxies for these characters that we know are not real. Mm-hmm. That's movies. That's what a movie and, is in general. And it's yeah. really interesting to have a movie where that that proxy idea of not being real is kind of doubled up and, and even doubled up inside yeah. that because in this movie, we not only have humans and replicants, we also have uh, holograms yeah. mm-hmm. inside of them. Where that. they're not even tangible. Like, they can't right. even touch. And like. and this gives us uh, the most beautiful shot of the year, in my opinion, <laughs> um, of... Hands on hands on the back of a head. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's the, probably the least the least spoilery way to say that. And Mackenzie Davis, which Mackenzie Davis and Joy together. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, it is it is a phenomenal shot, and it's one of those things in the same way where the Last Jedi. We we were talking about the Last Jedi in the sense that when you're watching the Last Jedi and it's a Star Wars movie. And they start doing things, you're like, oh, have they never done that in a Star Wars movie yes. before? <laughs> Holy shit, that's crazy. This was Blade Runner 2049 holds a, a couple of scenes where you're like, wow, I, have sci-fi movies that deal with robots and rep and, and holograms never done this idea before? And you're like, I can't think of one that has. I think it's because the, the emotional subtext has just never been there. And mm-hmm. that's the thing, like, this is a sci-fi movie. F- that, that is wholly unique. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's not unique's like, a good word because it's, it's not, not like anything else. You it's know? not necessarily original because it's no. based on, mm-hmm. but it's unique in how they're approaching adapting some kind of a continuation of a story. Yeah, from this thirty-five-year-old classic. Even even like you know, sci-fi tropes are not super relevant here. That's the thing about twenty forty-nine. That's the thing about Blade Runner in general. Okay, if you put me in a corner, like, what is the genre of, of this movie? It's like, uh, it's, it's sci-fi. <sighs> sure. Noir. noir. Sci-fi noir. Sci-fi noir. But, like, the movie is so, many is so there's yeah. so much happening where it's like, is it sci-fi like it's Star Trek? It's a, no. Yeah. Is it sci-fi fantasy like a Star Wars? 
No. no. Like a Star Wars? Is it like iRobot-ish? But no. It's... Well, actually, it's probably closer to iRobot than any, than any of the other, other ones, ones yeah. I listed, for sure. Because right. it's Phil K. Dick. Hey. Yep. That's, why, that's yep. why I threw it in the mix. But um, it's just doing so much original... It has such an original mentality to it, and I think that's that's why Dennis uh, Villeneuve, like, you know, that you watch um, Arrival, mm-hmm. and Arrival is this alien sci-fi movie that's like I've just never fucking seen this before. I've never seen a movie that was like last this. Last year too, right? Yeah, that was dude, last year. he's crushing it. Over a hundred years ago. Mario <laughs> <laughs> right yes. before that, yeah, right, like yes. the year before that. Mm-hmm. Then and then he's in prisoners the prisoner right year before. Yeah. Jesus Christ. This is amazing. Dude's on fire. Prisoners was a full lifetime ago. Where's My the director God. nom for this gentleman? It's fucked Well, up. we Where talked about that too, and we'll get into that more on our Oscars Oscar podcast. For but sure. It, there was a lot of great movies last year, which means that there were a lot of really great, great directors. directors and a lot of talented ones. And I'm going to be honest with you. If uh, Greta Gerwig and Jordan Peele getting nominated... Meant that we had to, because we we were uh, what what is it? Uh, Mart, Martin McDonough, he got knocked out. Yeah, he was not nominated. Because it's P.T. Anderson, Christopher Nolan, Greta Gerwig, Jordan Peele. Oh, who's fifth? And come on, we just went through this. Last well, night. I don't fucking know. Was we just Ridley? went through this last night with the what? No. Was it Ridley? I don't think. God so. no. no. I hope not. No. no. The directing, the directing, and all the money in the world is horseshit. I don't think so. Was well, it uh, Guillermo? I'm sure. It is Guillermo. Yeah, yeah, you are absolutely right. It, who will probably win? You think he's going to win Best Director? We'll get into this. We are going <laughs> to we will get into <laughs> that. Sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry. There is a very big reason why we didn't have The Shape of Water on. And that's good that we would mention yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. We yeah. did not have The Shape of Water on this podcast because we are going to be doing an Oscars podcast very soon yeah, with the same four people. Guess so what we movie's like, getting a lot of play yeah. for the Oscars? Apparently... <laughs> The movie's pretty good. It's pretty good. Yeah. I've seen it. Mm-hmm. Bernadette and You've Bebe seen it. I love it. Bernadette's seen it. We've Jack's seen, seen it. it. Robbie's seen, seen it. it. Yeah. It's a movie that a lot of people saw. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not on this list solely because it got the most Oscar nominations, so we figured it was going to be the yeah. one that we're we were talk talking about, about the most in the talk. Oscars. Yeah, there's, there's movies that didn't make the cut for this podcast, hot, but they're on hot, our list. Hot, right, right, right. Look, hot take, one sentence hot take on Shape of Water. Robbie, go. Beautiful and really fantastic, super tight. Bernadette? The fairy tale story that we needed. Jack? Yeah. Really, puti- really pretty, really pretty, be- beautiful. really beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> I'm tired. Really beautiful and pretty um, and heartwarming did not actually hit me emotionally as as much as I was hoping it would. Mm. And I will say, uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon, the Notebook mashup. Beauty I'm the cool beast. with that anytime. <laughs> yeah. To speak to the greater complexities of the the hands-on-hands scene, Mm. the fact that that scene... Back to Blade Runner. Back to Blade Runner 2049. That that scene coming when it did in the film made me question another favorite scene from this film. It's in the pit 
of a place that these characters go. Okay. I don't want to get cut out by Burge by giving away too much. Oh, <laughs> leave me alone. I'm trying. I'm protecting the listeners. You are, you are. He's doing his job. <laughs> There's a scene later on in the film where you see a lot of holograms mm-hmm. coming out. And it's really jarring visually. Uh, you see... Uh, Essentially, celebrities of yesterday yes. coming out to in front of you, mm-hmm. and yes. that scene was one of probably the best scenes I've seen in a long time, yep. and it was amazing. And it made me question because of the depth that this film went to and has gone with exploring AI and exploring what it means to be sentient. It made me wonder if those creatures were sentient. And if mm. and if those creatures trapped have, repeats, kind of yeah, yeah, are like doomed to I forever I, be forgotten. Yeah, are you doomed to just be shaken it right. forever? That's right. that's very that's and very much what they're doing. The yeah. whole complexity of the film, building up to that point and beyond, just spoke to how well they were. It comments you the on story. the the the, hologra- the holographic technology that we have right now, which is right. That's what we're doing. We are presenting these holographic images, of giving you more Tupac. stars that mm-hmm. can do that, yeah. and um, it is presenting the idea that just because you have this idea of what a robot is, that doesn't mean that you're correct in thinking that that's what a robot is right now. Right. And the same with a hologram. And if those characters are possibly dead... Are they the living dead at this point? That scene is also Which like is... the sound editing choice. So uh, good. I think that that so that uh that sequence that we're all alluding to might be one of the best like continuous sequences of any movie. I've it's seen the this best year. actionless oh, action scene of the year. Yes. Oh yeah. Because there's no consequence to no. The it's blows, all it's all know, it's like... all tone and building up suspense and what's going to happen, and then at the end of that, you get something very simple. And something very direct mm-hmm. and something that maybe you don't expect. Yeah. Right, right. And we haven't even mentioned how, when you say tone, like how heavy the mood and atmosphere of this movie is. Mm-hmm. Because it goes hand in hand with the, the just the gorgeously dripping shots, yeah. the lighting of every single scene of this movie. It's just the mood it's and the atmosphere. Disgustingly pretty. It's just offensive, it, really. It's, it's a <laughs> thick sort of air around the atmosphere yeah. of this movie. Um, it's brooding, and it's yeah. which is Ryan Gosling's cup of tea. He likes mm-hmm. to smolder and brood. Yes, and he is fucking. And he does it good. He's he good it at good. it. Guess what? Yeah, He's that motherfucker. I haven't seen anybody brood that good since David Boreanaz. <laughs> Where my Buffy can. fans at? He certainly can. But well, yeah, to take the oh, oh no 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 go, go ahead burn the original and you have Deckard and you have Rachel and you have this person that might be a human and a replicant kind of like falling for each other and being the foils for each other and then to take that and flip it on its head and give you K and love and have that type of Adversary, adversary yeah. relationship between the two of them. Well, and K and Joy as well. And You're K and Joy as well. A down another level, mm-hmm. right? Of a replicant and an AI. Right. The replicant you recognize is flesh and blood, and has is you know has like its own thoughts, and then right. the AI is programmed to do and act a certain way, but exhibits experience and 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 
goes through actions that are probably against its programming sure. in the same ways that Kay does, in the same way that... Rachel did. Rachel did, exactly. Right. Yeah, just the levels of this film. And it was so funny because Heath and I went and saw 2049. And then two days later, we went and saw Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> and we really enjoyed Thor Ragnarok, but even on the way home, the conversation waned from talking about Thor back into Blade Runner. Dude, yeah. And we're like, all right, dudes. Yeah. <laughs> this is the one we're going to be talking about. I can't tell you how much I associate with I, Blade Runner 2049 just keeps coming up in my head. Right. Yeah. Constantly. Because it's... Why is it that good? It has no... Right. And the yeah. more and more I think about it, the better it gets, and it just makes the problem worse for me. Absolutely. And at the end of the day, you just have to accept the fact that, like, some crazy money-grabbing scheme to make a sequel to a classic 80s movie turned into one of the best movies in years. Essentially, like, an art house sci-fi movie. Like, it's it's literally insane. And yeah, it's a, it's a derivative way to, to put it. But yeah. it is very much, like... And it, it is that because of how gorgeous it yeah. is, how well it's shot, and also, by the way, it presents questions well and you even talk about it in the blade runner hot takes is how uh blockbusters and big studio hollywood is starting to take in this idea of taking its time Mm -hmm. with things and it's allowing these art house implications yeah to bleed into what it wants when what denis Villeneuve is an art house director you hire an art house director just because he made arrival last year and kicked ass doesn't mean that you just hire him to make a Blade Runner movie and he's going to make you like a cut-for-cut, cookie-cutter, exactly-what-you-want yeah. kind of movie. You get Denis Villeneuve to make you a Blade Runner movie, he's going to go, Will, <laughs> here you go. And him also, too. I have asked my friends to make short films for... He's so sweet in that. <laughs> in the, in the, in Blade Runner 249 came out with these three short films and he asked like his friends to make the movies. And I when asked, he introduces I them, he's so three, sweet I about three it. filmmakers who I respect very much to He's make. so timid. Like, <laughs> like, he's like, you could scare That's him. Perfect. It's like you could scare him to death at any yeah. moment. He was just like, boo! Like, he's so... He dies. <laughs> he's, oh, he no. would die. <laughs> Uh, he he looks like a phenomenal man. He's the exact opposite of Kevin Spacey. I would love him <laughs> if I saw. He has him. no slime all over his body. So no he's slime not on that man. Slime slug man. Uh, fingers crossed. Who, yeah. knows? Who can say at this point? Who can say? <laughs> he seems like a pretty. I I don't think somebody that would make a movie like this, even with the weird kind of gender politics implications that it has, because that's kind of what he's going with with the world. Not so much his judgment. He's going on, if we were to continue as we are right now, that is what how women would be treated in the future. He's yeah. saying that, and he's not glorifying it. And these are the problems well, that I had on the hot takes that I couldn't really place, and that's where it is. He's he's making, it's a dystopia. The problem, and he's commenting on I, the dystopia I, in a gender political way. The problem is that Kay can turn Joy off at any time. Yes. That's the, the and problem. The, the yeah. problem is that all of the women in this movie are... At the behest of all of the men, yes, yeah, they have e- no, even they, including they have zero agency, even including K, they have none, none. Yeah. zero, and I think that Robin Wright's a little bit. Robin of Wright has a little bit, but at the she end of the day, she agency. finds herself controlled by the allure of a fake man, and it's a little, it's a jar. Only in one scene, in every other scene, she's baller. 
She, she also has, understood has, her level right. of complacency with Kay. Yeah. And so I think she felt some some uh Absolutely. It's in the grand scheme when you're when you're looking at it just as a movie, everything works out great. When you yeah. look at it through that lens and you're trying to break down, okay, exactly how are men and women reacting to each other in this movie within scenes? Robin Wright has that one scene where it seems like it's a little mm. But that is the dystopian projection of Absolutely. Right, that is one hundred percent what he is doing and he has commented on it too. And so that helped me out because that was one of the things that I had a little bit of a problem with, right. especially with joy and love. And I was I, like, it, I really like those characters and I love the performances, but there's something really icky there. Yeah. And he came out and said, he was like, I know it's icky. Yeah. It's supposed, it's supposed to be, be icky. icky. Yeah. And, and that's right. like, okay, good. good it's good. the same kind of conversation that goes back to three billboards. It's the difference between the idealized state of how things should be portrayed versus a reflection of how things actually are. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Well, all right. Uh, on that note, we had ourselves some good, uh, some good times right here. Um, we talked about Dunkirk and <laughs> Shape of Water. Brigsby it Bear. comes at night. Uh-huh. Brigsby Bear. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. Uh-huh. Uh, Ingrid Goes West. Yeah, phenomenal. Raw. The Florida Raw. Raw was fan fucking tastic. The Florida Project. Jack, you saw Raw as well, right? <laughs> I did see Raw. Raw's fantastic. Did you see Raw the Raw Florida Project too. Like, can we get a, a good clap yeah, for that? Florida Project. Jesus, yeah. Yeah. that's fantastic. That film is um, awesome. Yeah, we uh, 2017. There's a lot of good movies this year. Crazy fucking year. Catch our good movies this year. Um, <laughs> Disaster Artist, even. Disaster oh, my God. Artist. Disaster Artist. <laughs> that was the, the James so Franco joint movie. Uh-huh. I love that Tommy movie. Wiseau. Tommy Wiseau. Right. Uh, what do you guys... Uh, John Wick Chapter 2. John Wick Chapter 2. Uh-huh. Mm. What are you guys looking forward to for uh, 2018? Give me that Black Panther. Oh. But... Here's the thing about Black we Panther. Don't, we don't have to wait like a month for that. Here's the like, thing about Black Panther, right but I'm really... Let me fucking tell you what I'm really hyped about. The Kendrick Lamar produced soundtrack that's going around Black Panther. Two singles out right now. Both fire. Get on it. When that vinyl drops, I'm buying it. I'm going to buy five. I'm going to give you one. I'm going to give you one. I'm going to use one to wipe my ass. You're going to buy me one? Out of respect. I don't give a fuck, man. You're going to buy me one? You getting a vinyl. You getting a vinyl. It's going to be fire. Top Dog Entertainment all day. That's my shit. Done. Jesus. This is maybe the most I, I, for, the listeners, <laughs> for the listeners right the there. box of onions more than you have this entire podcast. Robbie just ripped out two patches of hair on the top of his head. <laughs> There's a and lot now of, I have to clean. I gotta. I, I gotta. I don't. I don't fucking need it. I don't need of, that a fucking lot of gesticulation air. going on. That, that uh, Bernadette, what do you? What do you? Is uh, it Black Panther two? Uh, please. Probably. <laughs> no, Black Panther two will be twenty nineteen. Uh, okay. Yeah. okay. <laughs> probably Chill. the one that I'm looking the most forward to is Isle of Dogs. That's what I'm. Just because Isle of Dogs, West Anderson. Anderson. Sick. Give it to me. I've loved Fantastic Mr. Fox. So I'm ready for movie. like a slightly different type of animation style some of it's a little similar but some of it's very different mm-hmm. i'm excited for this film and then i also really like uh the idea of this film and i'm gonna get the title wrong uh he can't get far on foot he won't get far on foot he won't get the far on phoenix fr- movie yeah yeah i'm very excited that for looks that film really movie. good yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. and jonah hill is looking yes <laughs> chef's kiss prestige in yes. that movie yeah, <laughs> yeah that looks very interesting i'm excited for that film too Mm-hmm. I was going to say Isle of Dogs as well, but mm-hmm. since that was just taken, I'll say I'm looking forward to Annihilation. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, dude. Now, sick. Annihilation is by the director of Ex Machina. But, but based on a short it, story. Is okay. it based on a short story? Is it, Or is it 
in fact, based on a series of books. Mm, I heard it might actually be a book. I heard sure that it's not book. not not even just a book. That it's like it, this is like young adult shit. Short like story. this no, is no, like no, no, no. it's not young adult off. shit. But this <laughs> is like this is like a like a a trilogy of it's books that have come out. Either a short story or a. Kind of long short story. I mean, I I'm excited about that either way. Give me my Oscar Isaacs. Give mm-hmm. me my Natalie Portman. Oh, oh yes. Mm-hmm. Give me my give Rainbow me. Wall. Give me. It looks so pretty too. The, what do they the call it too? It's got it a great so name. Beautiful. It's a Rainbow Wall. I don't know. The Rainbow Wall. They say it in the Rainbow trailer. It's got membrane. like it's called like. They got a great name for it, like the like the the spire, or like they got like ooh. they got like a name for it. Ooh. <laughs> and I'm just like, ooh, yeah, that sounds great. Also, yeah. uh, also, whatever the unannounced day 24 horror movie. Yes. Right, that was what I was gonna say, asshole. All right, well, thank you very <laughs> much. Now you know how it feels. Well, All right, well, I'm, do you want to talk about a quiet place, maybe? Uh, I was gonna say the yeah, the movies good. that I'm looking forward to this year. The big ones are black. The Black Panther, which you talked about. I was and more talking about the final. I'm talking. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I am actually very excited to see what Solo is. What is it going to be? Last year, we unanimously were like, we're excited for Star Wars. I'm excited to see what this. St- I'm so shocked. I want that to be very, very clear. I I'm don't excited know. about Solo because. Is it still the same actor, Alden? Yes, yes. The only thing that was lost was they dropped. Okay, I like him. Was it? He's good. uh, The two. There's only one movie though. There was a director. There was an actor that was in it as a character, and the character got dropped due to reshoots. And I can't remember who. Not Woody Harrelson's character, right? He's still in it. No, Woody Harrelson's character is still in it. Thank God. Woody Harrelson plays Chewbacca, right? Yes. (laughs) No, he plays the guy that. Gives Han Solo his black vest. Uh, uh, no, no, you know what? No, no, I'm retracting yes, that. That's stupid. It's going to be his blaster. <laughs> mm. Han Solo's blaster from the trilogy. That's going to be Woody Harrelson's blaster. Need the vest to take doesn't this. make any fucking sense because the vest doesn't transcend to the other movies. Sometimes he's got a jacket. It's just that like he likes white and black. That's it's not always the vest. It's, that's stupid. It's insane that that movie has not gotten delayed. They're like, <laughs> they so, are so not they're like, is that coming out in yeah. May? I they're feel like, yeah. like I've been a huge thing on this. Like, they, they are going to delay it, but they're it's, not. It's I'm surprised insanity. It's May and not like holiday. I'm excited. Right. I'm they at, delayed Rogue One and they put in that spot. And the yeah. past three Star Wars movies have come out in December. So I don't know. Right. Yeah, it's like I our just, holiday. You would accept it. We'd be like, it'd be fine if you guys wanted to. It's like our Christmas mass. I like it. You have to go see a Star Wars movie. That's fine with me. I'm probably the most excited about the third Cloverfield. Oh, yeah. I didn't see the second one. The third Cloverfield? It's coming out in March? What? And they haven't even started advertising Well, I guess 10 Cloverfield Lane. They haven't even dropped the name for it yet. Did you guys like 10 Cloverfield Lane? Excuse me, Robbie. There was a... (laughs) Wait, what is it? I was asking. I, I haven't seen Ten Cloverfield Lane, so I was asking if you guys. We've, very we haven't seen it yet, but we will. Dude, Ten Cloverfield Lane is quite. I hear it's like it's like short and sweet too, right? Short and sweet, good cool. to go, good to go. Cool. But uh, yeah, the third one, it, it, it's got the name God Particle. That was the filming that's it, name. God Particle. But that's not what it's called. Yes, it's like but now I remember. And I think that. that they just revealed that it's it, somebody scooped it. Might not be correct. It hasn't been okayed yet, but it might be called Cloverfield Station. Because oh. it takes, it's like a space station. I think it's about well, a group of astronauts on a space station orbiting the Earth 
that something happens where Earth disappears and it's they're Ooh. now in an alternate universe where Earth doesn't exist and they deal with that shit. Whoa. Well, that sounds like super cool That's to crazy. me. Like that I want to see that. Very sounds cool. like a uh, Twilight Zone episode. Yeah. Or like a Black Mary kind I'm of I'm curious how they will incorporate Slusho. <laughs> <laughs> Is John Goodman going to be in this mm-hmm. one? No. Nope. <laughs> no, he will no. not. <laughs> That's a guarantee. No, it's not. He is in that. Yes, he is. He is a side character in God Particle. That is correct. Mm. That has what? been confirmed. There you go. You're <laughs> lying. That's he not is true. A char- he is a character in uh, I don't know what Cloverfield to anymore. Me, me neither. Everything's a lie, so it doesn't matter. I just hope um, there's still movies in 2018 we're still around. Whew. Seems like it might well, be a few. Well, I think there have been a few that have come out so far, so... I can't, I, I can't wait to go see I'd Jurassic World 2 with my boys. Mm. That's going to be a fun night. Mm-hmm. Your one boy's not going to be very happy or fun. Yeah, <laughs> Burge and I need to find our spiritual successor to Dark Tower. There is, there, really is drunk. Uh, <laughs> uh, there is a Mexican restaurant right up the road from the movie theater closest to us. That does uh, really cheap margaritas on Thursdays. <laughs> oh. So let's say we all get an Uber and go see Jurassic World 2. And then Uber home. And then Uber home. And sleep here. That sounds like a date. <laughs> that sounds okay. pretty good. Mm. Uh, I'm also super excited. Can you grab that list over there real quick? The check it, check it off oh, list right there. I wrote down the movies that are coming out for the first six months, and there's there's some good ones on here. Uh, you know, Low Lives never came out this year. No, it did not get released, so it technically so counts for this year. So I, I'm excited. I'm, oh, Tomb Raider, yeah. I'm curious about Tomb both Raider A Wrinkle in Time we'll and see. Tomb Raider. I'm curious. We'll I hear that second Tomb Raider trailer is a lot better than the first one because that first one no, is it's, hot nope, garbage. It's still dog shit. It's a, really? Yeah. So everyone, still, everyone, the movie fucking... looks like dog shit, but I'm like, I like Alicia Vikander. I, I, I mean, she's great. Yeah, I she's really fantastic. want to see her do well in this film. Alicia Vikander is a good choice for the new yes. modern reboot of mm-hmm. what has become the kind of new um, reboot of Tomb Raider. Quiet right. Place. You were absolutely right. I yeah, definitely want to see Quiet Place looks really good. Uh, well, we have. Uh, it's filmed in Beacon. Super yeah, Troopers yeah. Two is also coming out. That movie's not going to be good. Are let you me serious? read you. Let me read you. Oh, let it's going to be good for what? Hold on. Hold on. Let me read you a list of movies that think that they're fucking clever for coming out on 420, 420. Overboard uh, the remake 420 is going to be a big day this year Rampage starring teen heart actual teen heartthrob the Dwayne Rock. Johnson <laughs> Cloverfield 3 comes out on 420 oh what? my gosh Super Troopers 2 yeah uh-huh. and Game, Game Over Man comes out on Netflix uh, from the Workaholics guys also right. God of War comes out the new God of War yeah and also Robbie and I are going to be building our cardboard Nintendo Labo sets so yes seven oh. things to do on we're going to be doing some 420 we also we're also got I'm going to go see Here Come the Mummies down in the city on 420 oh that sounds fun too <laughs> oh that sounds potterific <laughs> yeah Potter- it's be uh, we also have The Incredibles 2 is coming out on 420? Uh, no, God. No, 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 no. <laughs> I fucking wish. And uh, Sicar- Sicario 2 is coming on out. Um, Burge, what was the trailer that you showed me about the two female friends? And they're going to, they have guns. Oh! And, what's that? You were oh! so psyched about it. We're getting sloppy here. No. God damn it, that movie looks so good with Anton Yelkin. Yeah. Mm. What? Yeah. Oh. the last film that he did. Really? Yeah. Anyway. Mike, 
Hmm? What's what's that? Mike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hey, 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 Mike. What what's up? I know that you're editing this. Can you insert you saying the name of that movie <laughs> um, right now, please? No, that that would kind of be cheating and everything. Um, but uh, I mean, the name of the movie is Thoroughbreds. So um, there you go. But uh, let's uh, maybe try and wrap it up. You guys have been talking for a little bit. Okay. All right. I can't wait for you to forget. To Fu- future Mike, um, please give me a big hug and a kiss next time you see me. Thank you. Uh, and also there's, uh, a little movie called Deadpool 2 coming out this year. So is that the movie about the invincible man who has a very self-destructive lifestyle, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And also, um, uh, Avengers? We need to get... Avengers, Avengers, Infinity War. Get him by Spectable. I think it's Forever War, actually. Uh, Forever, Forever War? War? Is that what it is? Yeah, Forever War, uh, Thanos' Avenger, uh, Avengers. Forever Battles. Forever Battles. Forever War. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Part uh, through three? It's interesting. That movie um, actually has the biggest budget of all time for having every fucking actor in Hollywood currently. Yeah. In it. It's where the Obi Wan's uh well Ian McGregor is playing Obi Wan yeah, in the movie, in movie which is yeah, like super weird, but I'm I'm down. It's like would, America's version of I would of not Dr. be Hill. against Obi Wan <laughs> being in the Marvel universe. <laughs> if you strike me down, Thanos, I'll become more powerful than you can even imagine. What? <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> thank you guys so much for joining us today to talk about the best of, wait what, what the best of 2017 um hopefully you were drinking as well <laughs> otherwise it, it could weren't. get annoying if you were driving good for you for not drinking because that's not what you're supposed to do and you get a gold star from story screen hold on a second oh, there don't you go the microphone you got it <laughs> that's bad practice i paid for it i can do it i guess that's true <laughs> that was super dickish <laughs> <laughs> i'm so sorry uh, Bird's gonna come to our house and be like, uh, "Can I lick this real quick?" Because I'm fucking now I have to lick all of them. God You're right. I shouldn't. Have, hold on. Oh no, that's we can worse hear. Audio. We can it's hear. Bad audio. I got it. I got it. I got it. It's Wait, good. what do you do? Hold on. Don't let. Don't this... do another. Clap okay, audio. everybody. <laughs> Don't let this mic have a me too story as well. Let's oh my god, Bernadette, you monster! <laughs> she's the one allowed to I do know, it. I know. So... I'm allowed. She's, she's perfect. She's allowed to do it. <laughs> Free me. Um, thank you guys so much for joining us. Uh, make sure you follow us on Instagram, story underscore screen underscore beacon. Visit storyscreenbeacon.com. Check out all of our stuff. We, got we are really smart when it comes to talking about movies. And if we're not smart, we're at least kind of fun and entertaining. And isn't that what you want? If I do say so myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We also have a very sexy individual by the name of Jeremy Kolodzewski. Oh my God, he's coming so sexy. out. It's a very good personality <laughs> oh as well. God. He's the whole package. Yeah, I'm sorry, uh, he's got his top 10 coming out on Friday. Well, this Jack's came out go, today. This is going to go up after that. All right. Well, so, it just went up. It's already up, so you should go see it. Check All it right. Out. Thank you so much for <laughs> listening to this episode. <laughs> Uh, we hope that 2018 treats you way better than 2017 did, but we hope it treats you just as good. That's movie-wise. Filmically. That's it. Yeah. As 
Filmic? Filmically? Filmically. I'm, I'm taking that right now. Filmically. Take it. Here, here's the hope that 2018 is just as filmically good as 2017. Thank you guys very much. Jack, Burn it, Robbie. Cheers to you guys. Here's to a Cheers year to of podcasting. Woo! To another. Ooh. And another. 65 years of podcasting. Here we go. That's crazy. <laughs> All right. Bye, guys. You guys, this is one of, this has been one of the best fucking years of my life for you guys. Aww. Aww. Here, here's to uh, 65 more years, 65 more 65 years, years to more years. Screen, when it becomes planet story screen, <laughs> mm. I would like to be a hologram. Always, I would in... love to have a hologram of you. Hologram on podcast. I would do some good, <laughs> funny shit with that hologram. I give you guys permission. You can take an AI copy of my conscience and enslave it. And <laughs> only make it do weird do shit. Podcast. Well, weird shit also. Whatever. It's not me, so I don't give a fuck. <laughs> you can make it be on your Star Star Trek bridge crew. <laughs> uh, do all kinds of weird I'll stuff. Be, I'll be. I'll be in it your might master. Might become another person head. entirely. Uh huh. Who knows?